Hey guys, what's up? Week 157. Uh, Hammer time is officially over. Now we're starting a new segment I call Blind Spot, where me and Jeremy each pick 26 movies. We go back and forth. Each each movie is a movie we haven't seen that we're kind of embarrassed by. We're starting it with Carrie, Jeremy's pick. He has not seen Carrie. I have, of course, so we're going to do this. It, it should be fun, so look forward to that. Um, and Hammer Time, we have the last segment on here, and then a year-end kind of oh, well, uh, season finale, I guess, of Hammer Time. So, uh, yeah. Also, I want to let you guys know that there's a Kickstarter for Dustin Mills' new movie, Rip. Um, it stars a bunch of Toledo uh, talent, which is where I'm from. I'm also in the movie. It was one of my uh, most fun roles I got to play. I got to play a character named Marco Rossi, who's kind of like a two-bit criminal Italian kind of guy. He's a little flabby in the movie, I must say myself, but um, it was shot a few years back. I had a great time. It's black and white. It's gory. It's crime mixed with horror. Um, just a really cool movie, I think. I think it's going to turn out very well. It's already shot and edited. He's just raising the funds for a, um, a composer. So if you're interested, the link will be below let's hop into the reviews the first one we have is eddie macon's run from mill creek entertainment starring john schneider from um the dukes of hazard and uh kirk douglas i had never seen this movie i'd never really heard of this one it's made in 1983 and the first thing i noticed watching this movie is all the character actors that pop up it, it, i was like wow there's so many people in this movie um tom noonan um john goodman uh, mark morgales morgales um jt walsh uh, my my jaw was dropping on the ground with all these people just kept coming in the main sheriff and the children is in here here as a, as a sheriff and uh geez there's a couple other familiar faces that just kind of blew my mind so um um john schneider plays a character who's kind of um has a sick son and daughter and he gets an unfair sentence to um, go to prison. It, it, he gets basically the book thrown at him because he's dealing with a shady company and he punches somebody in the face. They make an example out of him. He ends up trying to escape from this prison to be with his family and his son who has a blood illness. And he, he just he says, basically, if I can't be with you, I don't want to be with anybody. So he attempts another prison escape. This is the second prison escape. And if he gets caught, he goes back for life. So that's basically his mentality. He's not going back. Um, Kurt Douglas is a cop who originally caught him the first time he escaped. And he has kind kind of a vendetta against him, so he starts tracking him across the country, and he runs into all these kind of weird people and everything. His wife is uh, helping him along the way, and throughout the movie, we have flashbacks to what happened and um, the relationship with the wife and Snyder and his kid and everything like that. Um, he has some help and some enemies along the way. There's a really kind of crazy part where a couple um, cattle, cattle guys, cattle, um, you know, what would I call them? Cattle ranchers, but they're big time cattle, um, you know, tycoons, I guess. They run this big ranch and uh, they thinking he's like a rustler. And they uh, take him into the uh, mansion, and they um, once Tom Noonan, and once the well, he's in a bunch of movies. He's actually in um, JFK. He's one. Of, he's like uh, Kevin Costner's right hand man. He's the other guy, and it's just a scary scene where they um, are threatening to hang him and all sorts of things. But uh, also Vic Polowis uh, from uh, Graveyard Shift pops up in here. I don't know how you say his last name. So I'm making saying it's just a bunch and bunch of character actors, um, and they all like turn in really good performances. Even though the scenes with like J.T. Walsh and John Goodman are very short, they're very memorable, and they're not big stars at the time but uh I, I like this kind of movie the soundtrack um is really good but the, i mean the score is really good the soundtrack is good and it fits the movie but it, it gets a little cheesy at times like kioma it's basically explaining the plot like he loved his family he can't live without him and you're just like okay i get it i get it so basically his plan is to run across the desert and make it to mexico and he has this elaborate plan and everything and he gets help along the way there's some really great car chases and and chases on foot 
Um, one in a cemetery, which I had never seen. Kurt Douglas is a mean son of a bitch. I really hated him in the entire movie until the very end where it comes down to that point where you're like, is he going to do what you think he's going to do? Hopefully, maybe. You know, he has this kind of character. Um, you, you understand who he is throughout the movie with one line. Basically, he wants to see if he's still a cop, if he can still kind of do this hard labor and get him out from behind a desk. Um, entertaining movie. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, good, and I enjoy more seeing the character actors pop up before they were anybody's. So I like that kind of thing. I would recommend checking this out. It's a bare bones. It sounds good. It looks good. Um, good soundtrack. Really enjoyable movie. Eddie Macon's run. I just moved my wife and son up from Florida. And my little boy's got this blood disease, and I was kind of saving up to buy this boat. I don't give a damn about your boat or your wife or your little boy's blood disease, so why don't you just... John Schneider, one of the hottest young stars of our time. Kirk Douglas, one of the greatest stars of all time. Together in Eddie Macon's Run. Here I am alone, trembling to the bone, traveling down this highway on... Without you, I can't take it. I can't stand another day. So I've got to break away. It'll be all right. I'm on that road to freedom. Gonna be all right. Starting over once again will be all right. I'll leave the prison walls behind me. Sometimes a man will go further, fight harder, and find more courage than he ever thought he had just to be with the ones he loves. John Schneider, Kirk Douglas, Eddie Macon's Run. Back to you. Okay, we have one here that's based off a novel, actually, and I dare I call it the Weekly Western? Let's go. Why not? Fill your hand, you son of a bitch! Say when.
Okay, this one's based off a novel, and uh, I guess it is the weekly western. I really feel it's more drama, romance, crime, but it does have a contemporary western element. And this is All the Pretty Horses, also from Mill Creek. This is actually directed by um, Billy Bob Thornton, and it was based off a book. And um, the whole kind of beginning of this reminds me of the Sam Peckinpah story, how he grew up on a ranch and loved the ranch. It was grandfather's ranch, and his mother sold it. So that same exact thing happens to Matt Damon's character in this movie. This one stars Matt Damon and Henry Thomas and Penelope Cruz. So, um... Yeah, uh, Matt Damon and Henry Thomas are best friends. Matt Damon's like works on this ranch. Um, it's kind of similar to you know, the ranch stuff in the last movie, too. We had some stuff like that. But he works on this ranch, loves doing it. He's a cowboy, and it's, it's in contemporary times. So it's on its way out. His grandfather dies, and the mother sells the ranch, but he still wants to live this kind of Western, you know, mythical, legendary life. So he decides to, along with Henry Thomas, go out uh, down to Mexico and work on this one of the big cattle kind of ranches. So that's pretty much the movie. Along the way, he um, and they, they kind of get involved with this kid who's like a Billy the Kid, Schofield kid from Unforgiven type, who just is, is rather dumb, but also highly dangerous and innocent, but just violent at the same time. I don't know how to explain it, you know, kind of like feeling like a Billy the Kid type. So uh, essentially this kid is going to be trouble. They can kind of see that, but they end up making it to Mexico and he kind of has a relationship with the cattle rancher's daughter and that doesn't really turn out good and uh, push come to shove. They end up in some bad places. Um, It becomes almost like a Midnight Express kind of situation and it's really kind of scary. Henry Thomas is really good in it. It took me a while to register who he was. It's like, oh, it's the guy from E.T. and Psycho 4. Didn't even notice. And Frog Dreaming which is crazy. So I was like, I didn't even register that that was Henry Thomas at first. So his interaction with Matt Damon's really good. There's some really kind of sad and uh, disturbing moments in here and stuff that kind of eats away at Matt Damon's like psychology and character, which, cause he's a, he's definitely a character with a moral compass. And I like that. There is a one shootout in here. It's not overly like, it's not that kind of movie where it's like an action, you know, Western, I'm killing a bunch of people kind of movie. It's not really that, it, you know, it's more about the romance and stuff and the lost love, things like that. It also has a uh, brief, appearances by Sam Shepard, which is really awesome, and Robert Patrick, which I really like seeing. Robert Patrick plays his dad, and he's got one of the better speeches or better moments in the movie. Um, I thought that um, the nuances in both uh, Matt Damon and him at that time was really good. Like, I feel like they had come from a certain place, and you have to be tough, you know, in that kind of environment. But, um, very good movie. Um, it has a lot of stuff that's just little small details, like when he's on the phone, and he, he's going to go meet the girl, um, the Penelope Cruz, regardless of what was said, and there's this guy listening, and he starts dancing, it's just like kind of weird little moments like that. Um, people that have read the book seem to be a little so-so on this movie. Some like it, some don't. I have not read the book, so I, I actually had a good time with it. I thought it was a well-made movie, well-directed movie, and uh, I enjoyed it. Um, you know, uh, like some of the stuff in here. I don't, I don't know if maybe they. I feel like maybe in this movie they kind of cowered, you know, wussed out a little bit. Maybe it was a little bit more sad in the actual movie. But I don't know for a fact. I mean, in the book, I mean. But uh, I would recommend this one as well. Uh, I also like the music in this one. thought it was pretty solid. Um, it looked good and sounded good. Again, that is all the pretty horses for Mill Creek. Hell, you're a regular old desperado, ain't you? In a land far from home. <laughs> You rode here from Texas? Yes, sir. There's Don Hector de Villarreal. Owns this whole shebang. 27,000 acres. Branch been in this family 170 years. John Cole found the adventure he'd always dreamed of. But the journey he never imagined 
was the one that began with a look. She's probably used to taking guys got their own airplanes, let alone cars. Fixing to get me in trouble. You are in trouble. <laughs> it is not proper for you to be seeing him together. This is another country. A woman's reputation is all she has. I know the old man likes you. That don't mean he's gonna sit still for you courting his daughter. You're probably right. It don't change nothing though, does it? I love you. I'm gonna love you till the day I die. I believe you. Betrayed by a powerful family, accused of a crime he didn't commit. Never dreamed there was such a place as this. You cannot stay here. You stay here, you're gonna die. His life will be spared. Why ain't we dead? I don't know. Don't go down there. But at a price he could never accept. I have to see you. I made a promise. Then you should have left me there. From acclaimed director Billy Bob Thornton, comes the story of a man I'm gonna make it right who'd risk everything I swear to God I will for the woman he was forbidden to love you make bad trouble for yourself Mister, I got trouble you never even heard of Matt Damon Henry Thomas Penelope Cruz all the pretty horses When you have to shoot, shoot, don't talk. Hey guys, what's up? Here to do a couple reviews for you. And we want to start with a new release from Severn Films, and this is called When the Wind Blows. This was made in 1986 by a guy named uh, Jimmy T. Uh, Mirakami, I think is his name. I didn't see his name. But uh, he actually directed Battle Beyond the Stars. Okay. Which is a really good one. Roger Corman produced movie starring John Saxon, Richard Thomas, uh, Sybil Danning's in that, and there's somebody else in there. Oh, uh, Robert Vaughn. Like that movie. Yeah. But uh, When the Wind Blows, it's a rotoscoped animated movie. Yeah, there's some rotoscoping yeah. in there, some stop motion. Um, well, this movie basically is, um, some people call it the children's version of Threads. Yeah. But you really can't make a children's version of Threads. This is from the new Severn line. Um, and I don't mean that as a um, backhanded compliment or a, not an insult or anything. This is from the new line from Severn Kids. And I guess that fits perfect. Severn Films makes some pretty mess, releases some pretty messed up movies. So Severn Kids. Uh, yeah, this is really messed up. Like, it's it's excellent. It's a really good movie. But it's, it's a fantastic movie. It, um, Let me get the plot. The yeah, plot's basically yeah. this old couple who are kind of reminiscing about their life and their old days um, during kind of uh, the Red Scare, you know, mm -hmm. the big Cold War kind of deal. And that's what Threads kind of takes place during that time, too. And everybody's afraid of nuclear war happening. And this, these two British people, old couple, live on the countryside. They've been married for years. And they, they still kind of... Um, romanticize the old times with Joseph Stalin and um, right. uh, geez, Winston Churchill and all that. So it's basically them, the, the old man, like getting ready for a possible nuclear fallout and the wife kind of just being kind of thick. And, and they're both really naive mm -hmm. and they're also very likable. 
So, so like the first two thirds of the movie are them kind of actually maybe the first half is I'd them say first half building and figuring out how to you know make rations and everything and everybody's panicking and they can't get anything and mm-hmm. then eventually of course the nuclear holocaust does kind of happen and it's really disturbing and sad. Yeah, so it kind of starts off you know it's. The wife is just doing her, her domestic duties. You know, she's cooking, cleaning, whatever. And the the husband is, like, freshly retired, it seems. You know, he yeah. doesn't really know how to spend his time. And things in the background, like he's listening to the radio, and they're kind of, like, growing. Like, like things are escalating in, in, in the bigger world picture. Yeah. Um, so he has, you know, the handed out government literature about what to do in the event of a nuclear strike, you know. He's picking up all the rations. And, and the funny thing about it is the situation keeps getting worse and worse and worse. They take the, it tells him to take all the doors off the hinges and put mm-hmm. them there. But then also, like, the government pamphlet's not really accurate. It's telling him to paint the windows but do other things with the windowsills. And the, the wife's really worried about her house getting wrecked. But right. it's such a dire situation. And... And, and just everybody around, they're not taking it seriously. He calls his son and everything. Mm-hmm. But it's just funny because it gets worse and worse and worse, and he keeps such a positive attitude. And it's just a nativity of, like, the people. And also, his outlook makes it even more depressing and makes you angry with the government and the whole situation more than ever. Well, and, you know, and that was the problem is, is you know, the government can only do so much. And, and you know, these pamphlets that they gave out, they're... Like realistically, you're you're kind of screwed yeah. if it happens. I mean, these pamphlets are for like peace of mind yeah. to prevent people from like escalating and rioting. But in the actual event of something happening, like it's complete chaos. And and the second half of the movie goes into that that there is no one coming, there is yeah. no first but, response. But like his uh, positive outlook makes it even more depressing. Oh, it does. And, and they both are very annoying in their own way, but also mm-hmm. very likable and like a realistic kind of kind of portrayal. Like, oh yeah, the, the woman's very kind of just doesn't understand any scientific methods, and the the old guy just refuses to accept the worst possible right, outcome. Right. So. But uh, the rotoscoping is really cool. I can't remember. I know a lot of animated movies do it, but I think it's rare. I, I don't remember seeing it very often, but I, it, it's just strange to me. It, it's really unique. So rotoscoping is like you film your actors moving and then you trace the... Yeah. I, I mean, that's that's basically the general idea. So like a lot of like, like the um, Rankin-Bass movies do it, like The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings. Um, what's The Fire and Ice? Is that a Rankin-Bass one? But I think there is rotoscoping in that yeah. one. And it, it's really, like, I think it was big in, like, like the 60s, 70s, and even, like, some of the 80s. So it's outdated practice by 86? Probably. It's, I mean, I wouldn't say it's outdated. It's, it's, it's just a filming technique. Yeah. Like, if you want to take the time to, like, you know, some people, you know, they just draw from, from like, yeah, you know, so but model reference. it makes sense though. But this one also incorporates yeah. live action like things too, like the show will be real. So it makes for kind of almost a um, surreal experience, right? And and I think that's where the rotoscoping is done the most, is because the actual backgrounds are um, stop motion. So they built this model house, all these model props, and and more of the rotoscoping comes when the camera is moving as it's like moving yeah. through the house. You have the the person walking, so the person's rotoscoped as the 
as the scenes, you know, change. I mean, like, the, the scene that really got to me is when, like, the actual attack happens and the picture of them on their wedding day. Yeah. Like, crashes down and it goes through their life and everything. That's that's a really bothersome scene. It's, like, almost, like, tear-jerking scene. Mm-hmm. The whole movie's really kind of sad and depressing. Yeah. And um, I don't know what kind of sick bastard would show this to their kids. No. no I would, I would never... I'd rather show them, like, Friday 13th Part 4 mm-hmm. or something. I mean, just because the nightmares that this movie would induce, it's, it's a much better made movie than the Nightmare of Friday right. Three or four, right. but, but um, I was really impressed with this movie, and it comes from a unique spot because the director actually was in a Japanese internment camp, mm-hmm. so he has like a lot of feelings about nuclear war and all this kind of stuff. And they, they have a documentary about him on there, which was interesting. And they have an interview with the writer of the book. It was mm-hmm. like a little book, but I don't know this and like threads and stuff like that. I, I feel like they really could get through to people yeah, about the situation. Yeah. And, you know, like, are we in the same situation now? I don't know. But, you know, I guess, you know, the threat of nuclear war is always there. It's always you know? terrifying. And too. ever since we made the bomb, I mean, that that threat is just out there. Like, that's always a possibility. And, like, that's, that's never going to go away so long as you have nuclear weapons or the capability of it. And I love how, like, the old couple keep bringing up the Ruskies, but they remember being, like, allies with them. So they're like, oh... Oh, they keep forgetting that the Nazis are no longer the enemy. Yeah, they, so, yeah. So like, you know, they don't quite know where the threat's coming from, or, or you know, they're forgetting about the old time, or like confusing with the old time. Um, after the fall, like after like the actual strike, um, it, it's great because like they they want to like they immediately crawl out and start cleaning up the house because it's like, oh, the government's well, going to come to, save us. He's like, you got to stay in the shelter. Right. <laughs> but it's just like they, they tell you to stay in there for, he thinks, two weeks. It's like, there's no way you can stay in that shelter for two weeks. Right. Like, and he misread it. He says, oh, it only says 48 hours. But, like, they keep get, feeling sick and they keep mm-hmm. trying to put it off. Oh, you're probably just having nerves. And, and it's just rather unpleasant and miserable to watch, but also just genuinely sad, but also very well made and well acted. Yeah. And I don't know, I thought it was a really great movie. Movie. I thought they did a really good job with the release, and I would mm-hmm. I would recommend checking this one out. Oh yeah, it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, and the you music know, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. and um, oh geez, it opens up with um, David Bowie, right? Yeah. And it ends with um, Roger Waters. So I was like, any so-called kids <laughs> movie that opens with a David Bowie song and ends with a Roger Waters song, it can't be a real kids <laughs> movie. Because immediately I was like, man, this is like it had some wall stuff too. It reminded it me of the wall band, yeah. like. Mm-hmm. Um, um, didn't they tell you about the little that song that comes in in the movie The Wall and uh, mm-hmm. like the yeah that whole thing and when there's uh, Mr. Blue Sky or Mr. Blue Sky, Sky. No, that's not Mr. Blue Sky that's ELO but uh, goodbye Blue Sky goodbye that part in The Wall that whole like weird element happens when they have the weird flash of the clouds in this one mm-hmm. seems a lot like that well the um, the wife has a dream at one point yeah. and, and it, I don't think there's any lyrics in that part, but the music yeah. and the style Roger, of the Roger Waters for sure. I would highly yeah. recommend it. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's really beautiful and sad and tragic and depressing and disturbing, but also um, very kind of trippy at the same time. Yeah, and it's definitely worth watching. It's, it's great, fantastic. Movie. Yeah, so I'm good on that one. You? Yeah. So long, child. It's all. Oh, 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 oh,
Just look at all that mess out there. The fresh air is all we need. They also make a cloud of deadly dust which falls slowly to the ground. This is what is called fallout. What's going to happen when the average man in the street hears that there's going to be a nuclear attack in three days' time? He dies, of course. When the wind blows, now it's being made into a full-length cartoon film. As a young man, I entered the world of animation filmmaking. I traveled the world directing feature films. It's just such an absurd thing that they're doing now, sitting on their deck chairs, <laughs> soaking in the fallout. We've got plenty of time. The situation is well in hand, you bet. Okay, we're going to continue this run through 91, and I could not do this without tackling some of the Italian ones. So I went through and got some of the Italian big names, the bigger Italian films out of the way. There's five, which I considered, you know, more on the known side. And the first one is Joe D'Amato's Frankenstein 2000, starring Donald O'Brien. You guys remember Donald O'Brien, right? He's in um, Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals, Zombie Holocaust. I've heard him called the um, Italian Harvey Keitel. So Donald O'Brien, um, and this is kind of an interesting interesting story. I remember seeing that um, Joe D'Amato um, used a lot of the same actors and he was a, a pretty kind person from my understanding. Is uh, Donald O'Brien had acted in so many movies, spaghetti western, tons of Italian movies. And at this point he had had a stroke. So he had like half his body was a little limp. So uh, Joe D'Amato kind of used him as a simpleton in this movie and essentially kind of a Frankenstein monster type. Which is kind of cool to give him work because Donald O'Brien seems like a person that enjoyed working. He was in a lot of movies and I, I'm sure that him and Joe D'Amato it made it work and I'm sure Donald O'Brien was grateful for the role, you know. I would not want to stop acting if I had something like that happen to me. So, um... Donald O'Brien plays a simpleton and he is kind of obsessed with this woman and her kid. He loves them. She is in a relationship with uh, another kind of guy but um, there's also these punks that go around the town and they cause all this kind of trouble for Donald O'Brien and the woman and they're related to like a mayor or somebody of high power. Of course one night these punks who always wear these horror movie masks one of which is a Freddy Krueger mask. It's kind of funny um, and there's a bunch of horror movie posters in one scene in the background uh, shouting out a bunch of stuff so at, at one point um, they end up attacking her and raping her, I believe. And, uh, she kind of ends up in a coma and they beat up Donald O'Brien, O'Brien, who's out there and they blame it on him. Um, they start to do some sort of medical experiments or, or something weird with her. I can't remember if she has a power beforehand, but what happens is she ends up having this weird psychic bond over Donald O'Brien, um, kind of controlling him. He can't remember anything. So he's blamed for all the murders because crooked cops and, you know, coroners and everybody's involved with it. So, um, essentially he, um, they kill him. But uh, they make it look like a suicide. Donald O'Brien kind of comes back to life. It's just like Frankenstein meets Patrick or something, but she's controlling him. He comes back to life, and he gets revenge, of course. Um, he has, like, a stitch. His head's all stitched together, and he goes around and starts killing the people that are responsible for it. Um, there's kind of a cool scene where he picks up a, um, a telephone wire, and it's all electric, and he's, like, hitting things with it. I, I thought that was fairly enjoyable. I like the music in it, too. And uh, this is Joe Diamato's uh, production company. He would also go on to produce the Lucio Fulci's last 
best film, Dora and the Silence with John Savage, also this year. So um, I think this one's worth kind of watching. I think that Donald O'Brien does a decent job. I think that the the goons are a little cheesy and I hate them. And the plot's a little bit batshit. And I think that they could have pushed it a little bit further and went a little bit more gory with it. But there is some snippets of gore and ridiculous over-the-top gore, too. Like, they're squeezing a head and it looks super cheesy and, like, fake and eyes are popping out. So I think this one might be worth your um, your time. But uh, It's not great or anything, but it is entertaining. And I love Joe D'Amato. And I think it's one of his goofier films. So, But, yeah, I like it. Stefan, you really scared me. Everything worked out just the way we planned. I want a complete autopsy anyway, before closing the case. The machines are going crazy. Next one here is from Severn Films, and this is also 1991, of course, and this is Lucio Falci's final film, Door in the Silence, starring John Savage. Yeah, John Savage. I feel so weird because, like, the stars of Deer Hunter, we have Walken, De Niro, who went on to do huge things, and then we have John Savage, who ended up doing, like, Door in the Silence in 91. This, I believe, is a TV movie. It sure feels like a TV movie. Um, this feels like a 25-minute segment of Beyond Belief stretched into an hour and a half. It takes place in New Orleans, I believe. So I, I like the setting. And John Savage is kind of a, he's like a piece of shit kind of politician, corrupt or whatever. And uh, he's driving back from a funeral. He decides, in the very beginning, there's like a car accident and like a time stop. And you're just like, okay, whatever. I feel like something is obviously telling me right there. And on the way home from then, it goes into this funeral. On the way home from this funeral, he is driving and he decides to take a shortcut and, and it's supposed to be flooded. He ends up in this weird part of town. His car breaks down. He meets a strange woman. He ends up stay, meeting a strange mechanic, staying in a weird home, uh, hotel where this woman tries to seduce him but then leaves him. And um, then he, he gets on the road and every time he gets on the road again, um, this hearse is blocking his way and this guy's like speeding up and slowing down. He won't let him pass it. So they're, they're pretty much like 25 minutes of the movie is just John Savage driving and just doing this. Throwing his hands up in frustration, and me as the audience is like, 
doing the same thing John Savage is doing. Um, you know, and it's just, it's, it's just really repetitive and really boring. And it's literally 30 minutes of John Savage kind of throwing his hands up. And the very ending is highly predictable. You know exactly what's going on. Like I said, this is about, um, equivalent to like a goosebumps, not a story. Like it's like, Oh, and then the very end made me laugh because what they did, uh, a character gets in a car and their license plate reads something. And you're just like, no, you come on, man. No, we ain't doing that. We did that. Oh, we did it. It made me laugh at that point, but um, this is so weird because the other movie Fulci made this year is actually pretty cool. Um, Voices from Beyond. So I don't know. This one must have been dirt cheap or something, but um, not a very good movie in my opinion. Fulci's, probably Fulci's worst. You know what I mean? I think it's Fulci's worst. I think it's worse than Enigma. Um, New Cla- I like New Gladiator. So it's like, I don't know. There's not Solomon's Ghost. I think it's his worst that I've seen. Um, so, I, and... I think it's the only one I actively dislike. I, I think it's a bad movie. I think it's boring. Um, John Savage, I guess, is okay. But there's a weird moment. There's so many weird uh, moments where it's like an adventure, like a weird kind of like venture kind of thing where he's just running into a bunch of weirdos um, and nothing seems right. Like he goes in a bar and he finds the hearse driver and he's like, she tries to talk to him. And he's like, can't you see I'm busy? And he's just watching this girl dance like by this jukebox. He oh, he, he tries to get like um, have sex with this woman in a car and she makes fun of him. All sorts of things. It's, it's not really really gratuitous in its gore or its um you know sexual nature so it's just kind of bland and boring and repetitive and predictable so door into silence not recommended lucio fulci's door to silence with john savage you to back off. What's the matter, you deaf? Can't you see I'm doing something? You're doing something. You've been doing something to me for the last half hour. You blocked the fucking road with that heap of yours. You broke every law in the book. You almost drove me off the fucking road. Co-starring Joe Cool Davis. Cool with the zipper. Now you can't get it up. What are you impotent? Out of here. Lucio Fulci's door to silence. Some doors are better left closed.
Okay, Fulci's other movie of this year is 1991's um, Voices from Beyond. This is a code red uh, Blu-ray. And I gotta say, this Blu-ray just starts right off, uh, right off the bat. No menus, I don't know, subtitles. You can't even check how long you've been watching it. It's a rather bare-bones kind of disc here. So, um, yeah, we're gonna start uh, this one. It's a very gothic review, basically by saying it's a very gothic film. I feel like that is pretty much its main kind of um, inspiration. It's gothic horror because we have a family and we have like, you know, uh, a will and somebody's dead. And uh, basically the daughter comes back to her family. She didn't really get along with them. She didn't get along with any of them except her father. And her father's the one who's been, who died. But she's being haunted by her father. And her father has like obviously some skeletons in his closet involving some, how he feels about some of the family members. So it gets really kind of weird. We'll have flashes of him like, trying to attack his son and kill him and all sorts of weird things and we have basically um a sister that's there that's really kind of nasty and uh, um i believe a nephew so all these and the, and the mother and all these kind of people that seem suspect um to the daughter so it's like a, a mystery that the daughter has to figure out who actually killed her father and her father's corpse is constantly being shown rotting and talking like i don't have much time when i'm rotted i'll be gone and it's that reminds me of faulty very much because they have the maggots and the nastiness and we have these weird flashes of craziness where like zombies will come out of the crypt and and we fog and people getting like killed and everything like that it actually is a pretty solid movie the the tagline on the cover um the i guess the poll quote on the cover gets me because this is Fulci's last great movie he made one more after this and it was abysmal so come on um yeah this is uh, this is a solid movie i did enjoy it quite a bit um it does have those Fulciisms, and it is like a gothic story so so i liked all that kind of stuff um it has like the rotting corpses the thick atmosphere, the the cool music. Um, it's Seperani, Seperani. I can't think of his name. Let me look it up. He's done a bunch of stuff. Um, um, Stelvano, Seperani uh, or Seperini. He, he's on like a bunch. He's one of the big names. He's like all along there with like Morricone or something like that. He's one of the huge ones. And Nikolai or what? Nickelodi. So like those three names are always like work together a lot. So it's got a really good musical score and everything like that. So. I believe he is the third one of those guys. So, um, yeah, I, I would check this one out. It is kind of vintage faulty and surprisingly late in his, um, you know, um, filmography so I didn't expect much out of this to be honest um, I put off watching it for years but there's a, a few gory bits here and there and there's thick atmosphere and some rotting corpses and some weird flashes of surreal horror nightmare logic stuff um, but and some nasty twist in the incest not incest but family kind of nasty stuff going on but um, I, I did enjoy it his voices from beyond and, and surprisingly there are some similarities between knives out at the end
Okay, the next Italian one is by Michele Soave, and this is The Sec. This, I think, is his third film after, of course, um, Stage Fright, The Church, and um, this is the third one, and then the last one was Cemetery Man. He only directed four horror films, really. Um, then he went to TV, and you know what? All four of his horror films are really solid. This one has uh, geez, it has Thomas Arnana in it, and uh, Herbert Lom, and has a small little role by Donald O'Brien again. So, uh, yeah, Herbert Lom I adore. He's in stuff like the Pink Panther movies and the Phantom of the Opera from Hammer, a tons and tons of stuff uh geez i want to say he's in dead zone i think he is in dead zone he's great in that uh, just a lot of great great movies i'm um, just a, a tremendous actor classic actor so essentially we have the opening and the opening might be the strongest point in this movie this film looks gorgeous it has a shot where you hear like um geez uh i think rolling stones playing sympathy for a devil is it or something it's a really classic song it's like a big song too Maybe it's the doors or somebody like that. And it's going over like this lake and water and all these colors. And it's just a gorgeous looking movie having and the wind pl blowing in the background. And we're kind of like introduced to all these hippies. And uh, this stranger kind of wanders among them. And that's Thomas Arnana who is in um, the church. And he plays Frank Stillwell in Tombstone. And so they walk up and... He walks up and starts, he basically introduces himself and, and sings a Rolling Stones song, Sympathy of the Devil. And they're like, oh, but then you like minutes later, like him and a bunch of bikers are killing all these hippies and like there's a baby there. And, and then we kind of fast forward years later after they talk to somebody who's in like a, a limo and it's the voice of Herbert Lom. So then like this woman's kind of driving through this area. She's new in the area and she almost runs over this old man in Herbert Lom who has this package and um, they, he, she brings her back. He brings, she brings him back home and and he starts telling her all these strange things and weird things. And it seems like he's been there before. And the package is the only thing that matters. Uh, push come to shove, he ends up dying in the house. And he, he has this, like, death mask, that this cloth that he laid on his face. And there's evil in that. He ended up opening this thing in a basement that seems, somehow brings this evil presence. So there's, like, these weird kind of cult elements and this this definite evil presence and it is definitely kind of a rosemary style baby story and i don't i didn't want to spoil too much there because the alternative title is called the devil's daughter so like it's kind of spoiled already in a lot of aspects and with seeing these other movies like that like this week we also have to the devil daughter and this one i think is more effective and and better done than that i think the music and the imagery is in the, the you know cinematography is great giovanni radici has a nice little role in the beginning that reminds me of one of the cult members in lord of illusions so there's lots of cool stuff going on here it's probably the only movie where we have a demonic rabbit which is a really kind of funny scene it's, it's a beautiful looking movie and there's lots of weird kind of crazy stuff towards the end of this uh, a movie that goes on that i really enjoyed i'd really like to rewatch this one because i'm not gonna lie i'd seen this before but rewatching it the the code red blu-ray or scorpion blu-ray um had a hissing sound through the entire soundtrack it's just 
and I, I put in the uh, the single edition and the double disc edition, they both had the annoying hissing sound, and I was so annoyed with it. And you could barely hear any of the wind or the small little details and sound because it had this this hissing throughout everything on the Italian dub and the English dub. And when you turn the commentary on, it sounds perfect with Troy Howarth. So I was like, what? I, I just, this really makes me not even want to watch this disc anymore. It's very aggravating, and it, it it's very distracting. And I'm going to be brutally honest, it's not acceptable for a $35 Blu-ray, okay? So I really wish that they would, you know, maybe put out a replacement disc. I don't know, because I, I don't remember my DVD ever having this kind of problems. And I know that they were basically saying maybe don't watch it in 5.1 or anything, but changing your whole sound system... Um, and I've had a lot of problems with my sound system lately anyways. I think it's something with the CEC and the R, uh, HDMI ARC. is just, it's all fucked up with Vizio. Vizio's a shitty brand anyway. I shouldn't have bought it. But, um, you know, so I'm having trouble with that anyways. The last thing I want to do is even mess with my sound system even more just to watch one movie that should be fine in the first place. But I know I'm ranting about that way too much right now. But um, regardless, it is a very well-made movie. It looks gorgeous. Um, and I would recommend checking it out. It's kind of a hidden gem from 91 for sure. Herbert Lam is exceptional. The woman in here I, I did enjoy her as well and um there's like lots of weird things where people just become violent if they touch the um the face mask thing so uh, i'd like to rewatch it and kind of dive deeper into it again because i was distracted by the hissing sound watch Lucifer. watch this is for You have been chosen. I have come to give you that greater life. Why did you disobey, Mary? flesh and blood and will abandon God. Okay, the next one here is uh, Black Demons from Umberto Lenzi. Umberto Lenzi's still making movies in the 90s uh, as well. This is from Shriek Show. And um, uh, this one, it's not particularly great. It was AKA Demons 3, I believe it was a TV movie. So we have some college kids, and one of the college kids kind of visits this secret ceremony. I, I can't think exactly where they are. It's South America, I believe it's some someplace. And uh, a, kind of a weird ceremony that he shouldn't be, and he records it. That's also kind of something that happens in one of the Volta 4 uh, stories in the movie, I think. Somebody does that, and I think it happens in a Tales of the Crypt episode. Yeah, that's a common thing, recording some ceremony you shouldn't, and it backfires in your face. I don't know where that trope came from, but it happens in here. So he records it. Him and his uh, friends go to this weird kind of old plantation, and they meet up with some other people because their car broke down. They're kind of stranded out there. And this idiot decides to play the tape, and it raises these six black slaves that were murdered um, really horrible on that air, on that plantation. So they come back, and they must claim six white souls, is my understanding. So um, they, they kind of look cool. You know, they're in, like, the whole old slave outfit, and they're, like, carrying chains and shit, and they start picking off the people. So the concept is fairly cool, but um, it just it's kind of boring and, and just doesn't really 
really go anywhere. When the gore's there, it's decent and solid, but there's a lot of downtime. The characters are boring. Um, you lose interest very quickly, and the, and the main character who brought him back is such a prick. He ends up becoming kind of evil and everything like that. But it's just not really worth the um, your attention, I don't think. I think it's okay. I don't think it's great. Um, I think it's kind of subpar, like I said. And it makes sense. Lindsay said that he hated the cast he had in here. He just did not like them. One of them, he liked the lead actor, the guy who plays the bad guy, kind of. But everybody else, he was kind of forced to stuck with, and he feels that the movie would be much better if he had a stronger cast and could have done more with it. But with this cast, he feels like it just fell really flat. And I do feel the same way. I think it's a little lackluster. Um, it does have the the actress in here is actually the virginal girl in the opening of Monster Squad, who's like who sing who does the whole virginal speech. They and then throws the book, gets sucked in the portal. Um, she's she's actually the one in the beginning, not the little girl that's later on. So yeah, um, this one I, I would kind of pass on. I, I just wasn't that happy with it, and it's just it's like you know Haitian horror, but just kind of boring and and kind of a good concept, a little bit wasted in the Black Demons. Okay, the next one from 1991 is by Rodman Flender, and this is The Unborn, starring James Karen. And who's the, the lead actress in here? Brooke Adams. Um, she's in uh, she's in uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Who else is in here? Kathy Griffin, Lisa Kudrow. Yeah, Lisa Kudrow's role is tiny. But uh, Kathy Griffin's the one I want to forget about. So um, basically, um, Brooke Adams from... She, she I knew her uh, look right away. I was like, oh man, she looks super familiar, because I've seen that Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 78 a bunch of times. So her and her husband are kind of having trouble having a kid. So they go to this uh, doctor that's highly recommended in James Karen. All right, first of all, if James Karen is your doctor, run. Um, he's from, you know, Invaders from Mars, Poltergeist, Return of the Living Dead. Uh, just not a trustworthy doctor for me. He looks like the perfect doctor, but I just can't trust the guy after watching all those movies. I, I love him, by the way. But so essentially they recommend him to this doctor. And he is pretty much uh, amazing at getting women pregnant that couldn't be pregnant before. She um, she gets uh, you know inseminated and everything like that. And uh, pretty soon she doesn't feel right. Something's off. Something's weird. She starts to do some research or some things come to light to her. You know, people that were in the program as well. Another uh, kind of a friend of hers that she met going to a yoga class that was ran by Kathy Griffin and her girlfriend. Um, and everybody seems that's got this insemination is off. So we kind of learned that there's been some evil experiments going 
going on. You know exactly what's happening. And um, there's a movie called The Unborn with this cover, and, uh, you know, it's got to have a mutant baby, right? You know, in the vein of It's Alive, there was a mutant baby. It's not as effective as It's Alive, but um, there's some gory bits of, you know, pregnant horror kind of stuff going on, which I kind of enjoy. Brooke Adams kind of losing her mind. I think she's pretty good in it, pretty solid. James Karen's always solid. Um, And there's some violent moments where people start to lose their minds, which I kind of liked as well. Kind of reminded me of Scanners, you know, when they have like the um the women there, the, the point they show that the woman has a uh, scanners in her and they're doing the experiments and stuff and Firestarter. But um, of course, with the pregnancy element, it's it's a lifestyle too. So it has some cool things going for it. You know, there's bits of gore here and there. And uh, of course, the baby, I kind of really like the baby at the end. And the last couple shots at the end are really wild and weird and kind of just um, batshit batshit kind of shots that go on the disc looks i mean the movie looks really good the sounds fairly solid i mean it looks it looks good it's a it's a corman produced or a new world or whatever um new horizons actually might have been so it looks decent it sounds good and there's a commentary as well that's the only feature on here so i would recommend checking this one i don't really have any complaints about the picture quality or the audio quality it's a cheap movie and um i I wish there was more features maybe an interview with the director instead of just a commentary but um i did enjoy it for what it's worth you know i kind of like these test tube kind of horror movies you know there's a bunch of them I feel like this from this time too you know baby whore um the kindred comes to mind of course from 87 so uh yeah that is the unborn technology of in vitro pregnancy has progressed so rapidly that today almost anything is possible I'm gonna be a mother they wanted it more than anything Smiling really is the best. His success rate with infertility is close to 100%. They thought it was impossible. Your case is trickier than some, but I don't anticipate any difficulty. <laughs> Dr. Myerling gave me these pills. Don't take them. Stop fighting it. I don't trust him. Let it happen. He's not an ordinary doctor. We'll take care of you. A geneticist with a vision. They are better, stronger, more intelligent. They don't mean to cause harm. <laughs> There's this thing growing inside of me. It's not my baby. What you need at this point is some counseling. It's not human. No! No! Ireland changed it. It's not part of me. I have no choice. I have to get rid of it now before they find me. You're obviously in the third trimester. It's against the laws. They're doing something to the children. They're changing them. They don't belong to us anymore. This is not my baby. I don't know what it is, but it is not mine. They're eating us alive! The unborn. Having a baby can be a scream. Okay, this next one is from 88 Films, and this is Bloodsucking Pharaohs in Pittsburgh. Yep, in Pittsburgh. It was of Pittsburgh or in Pittsburgh. So, um, yeah, this is a remake of uh, Blood Feast, but goofier. Yeah, you didn't think you could get goofier. Is it as goofy as Blood Diner? Probably. It probably is as goofy as Blood Diner. What is up with remaking Blood, Blood Feast and making it goofier than it already is? So uh, this was actually done by a director who didn't direct horror movies. He actually, when he got this gig, um, he did some research and he dived into horror films and splatter films. And he wanted to make it kind of more comedic and mix the comedy and horror. Tom Savini does the effects, which is also a huge plus. And they're splattery and they're gory and they're over the top. Love Tom Savini's effects in this movie. Over the top goofiness. Um, who's the guy who plays the cop in here? I, I'm going to forget. 
forget his name. It's not ringing a bell, but um, I'll know his name when I see it. Joe Sharkey. I've seen him in some other things. And uh, Jake Deagle, I believe I've seen him in some other things. So both these actors look very familiar. It follows the detectives kind of storyline here where they have to discover who the killer is and how the killer is, you know, ripping people apart. The, the kills are over the top because, you know, in Blood Feast, it's basically about someone who's going around taking body parts, certain body parts for some sort of weird kind of spell. This one turns out to be kind of a spell of revenge and everything like that. Um, I think it's uh, one of the detectives in this movie. They both are really weird. One's on like a health food kick all the time, which is really funny. And his wife's a smoker. And um, I'll, I'll go through her little uh, her little arc is hilarious in here. She basically goes through the James Woods kind of cat's eye quitters Inc. times 10 here where she goes into some weird trying to get herself to quit. And they turn her into like the bride of Frankenstein and she looks crazy. That's um, on the cover here where she's got to be on the cover somewhere. She's actually not on this cover. But um, she she's on a lot of the VHS covers, like with the ha hair standing up and everything like that. So uh, her story arc is great. She's also hilarious because she's got the voice box. So just over the top ridiculous characters like that are throughout this movie. Of course, the killer is always targeting prostitutes a lot of the times. Um, and the, the cops, one is like on a health food kick all the time, and he's just an asshole. And the other cop had had gone through a recently messy divorce, and he's pretty much a woman hater. And there's this really funny moment where he has this conversation with the uh, the the bugged out kind of lady with her hair up and she's like um but you hate women he's like i don't hate all women I don't hate you or something. It's just really funny. Like they keep bringing up everything about his life and he hates it, but nobody seems to give a shit. They're like, yeah. And you, then your wife divorced you. And he's like, yeah, he's like, shut up in a restaurant. He's like, and then you had that sexual problem. He's like, shut the hell up. And everybody looks at him. It's just, um, really funny kind of uh, ongoing gag that they keep doing. Um, the movie's ridiculous. It's nonsense. Um, the effects are over the top, but they're really good. And, and like I said, um, people like somebody gets trapped in a car and their head gets is hopped, hacked off. So the gore is ridiculous, but like I said, the effects effects are pretty solid. You'll recognize a couple of people that Savini's done effects on before. Um, the big zombie from Night of the Living Dead 1990s in here is kind of like a henchman. He's really funny. And Tasso is also in here, you know, Torres from Day of the Dead and Sledge from Dawn of the Dead, same guy. He's like his, you know, a special effects assistant. He's a guy who actually literally gets shot to pieces. Um, so, so you get the idea what kind of movie this is. I like the look of it too. It's very rainy and Pittsburgh and everything like that. So I think it's kind of a fun movie. There's a bunch of features on here, director interview, Savini interview, behind the scenes stuff. Um, I kind of like it. I like the movie. I think it's fun. I think it's goofy. Um, yeah, it's somewhere in the vein of Blood Diner. I think this would make a fun double feature with Blood Diner. If you like Blood Diner, check out Blood Sucking Pharaohs in Pittsburgh. A serial killer Mister, you got a quarter? is on the loose. Hey, if you don't have a quarter, that's okay too, man. And these two cops are on the case. Detectives, who can that be the largest cops on the force? Look behind you towards that corner. Don't be obvious. But when the bad guys turn out to be bad girls, yeah! and the killer starts working overtime, can these cops save Pittsburgh before it's too late? Shut up! It's only Sweeney's wife. You'll get a blast out of this hilarious horror spoof. This one's a blockbuster. Two thumbs up. Blood-sucking pharaohs in Pittsburgh. Now on video cassette from Paramount.
Okay, this next movie from 91 is nonsense. It is Shock'em Dead. That's right, heavy metal horror at its finest. This is from Slasher Video, Olive Pictures. Um, this uh, is a VHS remaster, I think from a master tape or whatever, so it's not Blu-ray, even though this was shot on film. So, uh, yeah, this movie's nonsense. We have this nerdy guy who works at a pizza place for Aldo Ray, of all people, and Aldo Ray doesn't seem nearly as drunk in the 91 movie I'm watching as he did in the 85 movies like Biohazard and Evils of the Night. He seems a little bit more sobered up and he actually looks better he looks healthier i don't i don't know but i love aldo ray uh, he runs his pizza shop and uh there's this nerdy guy who's fairly unlikable who wants to be a music like a uh, heavy metal artist but he's not very good he gets called to a gig he quits his job to go to the gig they insult him he leaves he loses his job aldo ray throws him out and uh, basically, oh yeah, there's a moment where he um, spies on one of his co-workers changing too, and she has giant implants, so you know what kind of movie you're in for here. So essentially, he sells his soul to, um, he makes a deal with this voodoo lady. A lot of voodoo this year, right? We have black demons, we have this. Like, So he makes a deal with this voodoo lady to sell his soul to the devil to become a huge heavy metal rock star. So uh, basically, his acne's cleared up. He can play guitar like nobody's business. He goes back and tries out for that band. He gets a position in the band he moves himself in a more powerful position in the band and he starts having his eyes fixated on the um like i think it's the bassist or guitarist one of the guitarist's uh, girlfriends who's tracy lords of course you know from a bunch of movies so he's obsessed with trying to get tracy lords to join the evil dark side he is surrounded by these three kind of uh succubuses or yeah one of them's a succubus and so is he actually not a succubus an incubus i guess you'd say um so he's surrounded by these three women who also made a deal with the devil and uh, two of them are you know, disfigured in mirrors. That's their punishment. That every mirror they look in, it's silver, uh, silver reflection. They're kind of deformed because that's the deal they made. And one must, um, you know, suck souls away. He also has the same deal. So he becomes, you know, the, they become like a succubus and incubus, and they have to kill people to live on. So of course, they start picking off people that start to catch on to them. Um, tons of nudity in here. Lots of nudity, lots of sexual content and everything like that. A lot of these girls get naked. There's a lot of, you know, cheesy metal music played. One of the songs gets stuck in your head um, that one of the original lead singers sings. He's like, I'm a virgin girl. I'll wait till I'm married. That song actually gets stuck in your head. It's kind of catchy. And the way he performs, it's really weird and over the top. But, um, and actually when he has his demise, it kind of becomes very comical and over the top. He becomes like a, a screaming girl, like, oh no, and everything like that um but it, it's not very it's not a great movie but it's fairly enjoyable and goofy to be honest and as far as like heavy metal horror movies or metal or rock horror movies are concerned it's better than a lot of them it's be, it's better than slaughterhouse rock it's it's you know i'm objectively better than rock and roll nightmare although rock and roll nightmare is a pretty good time um uh, you know it, it's enjoyable as it is like kind of goofy and stupid and everything like that um the director is on the disc and he talks a little bit about the movie and everything um there is a, a director's cut on here which is basically just the four minutes of nudity all put together and there's a, some extended and deleted scenes there's a commentary there's a bunch of stuff on this disc i wish they could have found the film elements to remaster it it would have made a, a pretty big difference but um it is kind of enjoyable if you're into these heavy metal horror movies you got to kind of see it um again it's so weird that we go back i just did 85 a bunch of 85 movies and we still have the same tropes. We still have the same actors popping up. We have Aldo Ray still working, and we have heavy metal horror because we had hard rock zombies. So, like, 
we still have all these same people. And last week, I mean, we had Chris Sarandon, we had Brian James, all these people were still working at E5, like that six year gap, not much has changed really in a lot of like, and things like that. We still have the big Italian horror, horror craze going on, but shock them dead. Um, if you like that kind of thing, it's definitely worth checking out. If you're into the heavy metal horror movies, it's goofy, it's fun, it's cheesy, um, super cheesy, super cheesy. Shock them dead, starring Tracy Lords. Shock them dead. Tracy Lords. Shock them dead. For the girl of his dreams, he'd make a deal with the devil. Shock him dead. Oh boy, this next one is super ridiculous. This is Haunted Ween from 91. This is like kind of a, a, like a disc they made themselves and released. Um, I really hadn't heard about much about this movie until I bought this disc. And it's so weird that um, it shares so many similarities with Scary Movie that also came out this year from 91. Um it's really um, focusing on that kind of regional haunted house. I think this one's in Kentucky. Um, scary movie was Texas. So, uh, yeah, this one feels like it has like that hometown spirit of regional horror. Let's get together and make a movie. So in the opening, we have this kid who's obsessed with, you know, he's working at this haunted house and he wants to be in the house. He's just at the gate. He's kind of obsessed with horror things. He, he ends up sneaking in the haunted house and scaring this little girl. A tragic accident happens. It messes him up. Years down the line, his mother dies and he completely snaps. He goes Michael Myers on Halloween, right? He ends up uh, putting on all these masks and sneaking back into the old haunted house that he used to work at, which is a kind of a haunted house here. But he also told about these frat boys that are trying to raise money to save their fraternity about it, that they could use it for a, a shindig, a crazy horror shindig um, and haunted house. So basically these guys, these frat boys make up a haunted house on the premises and of course the killer's on the pro on their premises and he starts killing people for real, but it takes a while for them to register that people are actually getting killed. Oh no! Um, there's a couple performances in here where you're like is this guy just overacting on purpose like this one guy like i swear he he's his voice is so ridiculous he's like hey guys but like on the commentary they're like no that's just how pretty much he sounded and he acted he was really kind of funny in real life like that so it's just like wow it's such a weird performance that you would never get from uh, from a real like from like a, a bona fide uh, actor i don't think um <laughs> to be honest unless it, maybe it was crispin glover or something like that i don't know i don't think anybody else would try something like that so it's like a lot of goofy weird characters and it does take a while to get started. I'm not going to lie. It takes kind of a long time for the action to get going, but they have moments of them all hanging out and drinking beer and, you know, naked girls on a boat and stuff like that. And some nudity here and there to keep you slightly intrigued and some really corny, funny dialogue. Like it, it becomes cheesy and funny. And I started laughing out loud. Like there's this one moment where like the girlfriend's talking to her boyfriend and they're driving. And then she stops talking for a moment and he stops. And he's like, Oh wow, that's that haunted house. And he looks over at it and she's like, Hey, I was talking to you. And he's like, basically ignoring her completely. And I, just the way it was delivered and everything like that made me laugh. But, um, uh, people start to get picked off in the haunted house and it cuts to all the people watching and they're like, hang that son of a bitch. And it's just, it's ridiculous, but it does have a certain, you know, like 
kind of small town quality to it. Um, and I kind of like it because you can tell the community came together to make this movie similar to scary movie. I think that scary movie, obviously it was a four, like 2k, 4k remaster of that. So it looks much better. Um, this looks like maybe it was a, a tape remaster or something, but it does look like it was shot on film and there was some decent like camera, you know, I mean, tricks and everything like that. It wasn't like completely cheap and, and completely made shoddy, you know, it is cheap though. I mean, it was made cheap, but it's not completely shoddy is what I should say. And the end, the end shot, I was just like, is that what? I was just like, what? I was, I was kind of surprised they did that. And it was pretty wacky and over the top, but, um, all in all, I think it's watchable. I think this again would make a very good double feature with scary movie. And we're, it's so weird that in 91, we had two movies released that are basically a crazy guy in a haunted house for real. And both movies are kind of like haunt that came out last year. You know, maybe haunt took some inspiration from these movies. Maybe, I don't know. I'm just kidding. But, um, that is haunted ween. Also a theme music in here, haunted ween. Um, there's a song that plays called haunted ween, which is kind of funny. About 20 years ago on this very property, a little girl was murdered in that haunted house. But one night, they found a little girl in one of those rooms. Blood was everywhere. The mother who owned this house disappeared that night with a little boy. Maybe he's the one that killed the little girl. And he's still on the loose. Welcome to the House of Horror. Someone's dying to 
Okay, this next one from 91. I've been a big fan of this movie my whole life. Um, you know, remember I was born in 86, so I was five years old going to the video store. And that's right, this is The Giver. Love the music in The Giver. Love everything Brian Yuza produced. Steve Wang, um, Screaming Mad George directed. Okay, I know Giver's not a perfect movie. It was released by New Line Cinema, 91. Turtles had just come out. There's even reference to Ninja Turtles in this movie. So, um, but it has that used to, like charm to it, production, where it has people that using it would put in here we have david gale we have um a cameo by jeffrey combs as dr east also mark hamill is in here michael berryman's in here um the guy from uh, sorority house massacre 2 and hard to die who's always eating raw meat i can't think of his actor name peter something he's in here um the plot of Giver is ridiculous. Um, oh, Jimmy, Jane, Johnny Walker's in here and Linnea Quigley also in here. So uh, let me get to the plot of this. Um, Giver's actually based on a manga from um, Japan and it also had an anime series, two of them, one of which was before this and one of which was after. And it has an a, a, a animated movie called Giver Out of Control as well. So there's a bunch of Giver stuff to go off. There's action figures. So it, it's bigger in Japan, of course. So the Giver movie is a weird because it was it's like PG-13. So like... The original cut, the VHS cut is what I'm talking about. Not the DVD cut, which is dog shit. Don't watch the DVD cut. Forget the DVD cut. Don't even watch the Arrow Blu-ray cut because that's not right either. Um, so the it had this element of like childish, like kind of fighting and everything, almost like Ninja Turtles, but it also had like gory... Um, like spouting blood and everything, but it had these gnarly effects too. It had these really crazy effects in here, like these transformations and the monster suits, which are exceptional. So the plot of this is, um, Kronos is this underground corporation that is, uh, basically has been on the planet earth from aliens years ago. They brought the zoonoids on here, which are monsters. And, uh, they basically mix it with DNA or something that turned these people into like monsters. You know what I mean? They could transform into these creatures, all different kinds. And they're basically responsible for what people, We'll call vampires and werewolves, all that kind of stuff. So the Zoinoids are evil, and they're after this Giver unit, which is this bio armor from space as well, which is super powerful. And um, they, they want it, of course, so they can be, you know, all controlling and everything like that. Um, 
through circumstances, this young uh, martial artist ends up getting it on him when he's trying to protect his girlfriend, whose father worked for Kronos and was a Zoinoid himself. So they all get intertangled in here. There's also a cop in Mark Hamill who's interested in the Kronos Corporation and knows they're corrupt, who's getting here. And they all get tied up fighting these uh, Zoinoids. And the the, uh, the Zoinoid leader is David Gale, of course, from Reanimator and from uh, every animator and Bridery Animator and Sigenair and a bunch of stuff. Um, so yeah, and the brain. So he um, is running this corporation. His goons are Johnny Walker, that big fat guy from House Arms Radio 2, and uh, Michael Berryman and some other people, and a bunch of other Zoinoids. So they're after the Giver unit, but of course the young martial arts gets the Giver unit on him, so he must fight the Zoinoids. What we have is a bunch of crazy martial arts and monsters fighting, and um, there's a little bit of really goofy comedy in here that's just over the top, with uh, especially with the character Striker, who's Johnny Walker. He's like, I'm just doing my job, I'm just doing my job, but he looks really awesome. He looks like a Dilophosaurus. So there's all these like crazy effects and just monster fighting. And it ends with them being at, at Kronos Corporation fighting all these monsters. And it just gets really big. And I like the I like the animes too. And I like Giver too. And I liked all the cartoons. I pretty much like all Giver things. I just like the idea of kind of a hyper-violent um, Power Rangers. Although this one's toned down for kids. Um, I want to talk this, uh, more importantly kind of about this cut right here. This one from Germany, it has the uh, it's the most uncut version. It has all the new like the comedy bits and everything in there, but it has it has re put back all the gory bits, the gore that the DVD cut out and the Arrow DVD Blu-ray cut out. This German edition has everything. It has all the gore back in there, and it's a region-free disc. So grab that because that's the one you want to see. It has all the gore put back in. Like um, there's a point where he rips off the arm, and when he slashes, like things. So there's like five, like probably just like a minute or so of just like bits that make the difference. To be honest, it takes it up that level to you know like cheesy kids movie to a little bit more something else. But um, the music's always been stuck in my head, and, and the movie wasn't that successful, unfortunately. Um, on the disc, there's interviews with Brian Usna, and uh, I really like seeing that. Him talking about the movie it was interesting, and he seems like such an intelligent, nice guy. And uh, I just wish it did better, you know, because we did get the one sequel, but I think that we could have had a huge Giver franchise if it, if it did better. And uh, th this movie has always been embedded in my head, like it was a childhood favorite, so rewatching it was kind of a treat. Um, I know it's not everybody's jam, but I always liked it, so that's the Giver. Your friend found a most valuable item. I must find out how he managed to activate it. The Giver unit. I need your help. You saw it work. Tell me, how did your friend activate it? I said, let her go.
All right, guys, it's time for the, the last and final hammer time. And I actually want to hit my hand with this because it would hurt. But We finally got a hammer. <laughs> it finally came through Amazon with COVID. We ordered it at the beginning, but it just made it here. Uh, yeah, this is the final hammer time. Uh, it's been a hell of a run. We're going to have a little thing at the end, probably fairly quick, uh, about the best of and everything. But this last one is a Peter Sykes movie. It is To the Devil, A Daughter. Starring Christopher Lee, Richard Widmark, uh, Natasha Kinski, um, called Kinski's daughter, and uh, some other, and Del, Denham Elliott, who's in a bunch of stuff. Um, let's get this out of the way. The, the controversy on this movie with 14 uh, year old uh, Kinski being nude and everything like that, it's in there. It's rather unpleasant. It's really weird. And mm-hmm. um, this is also written uh, a novel by Dennis Wheatley, who wrote The Devil Rides Out, which was much more successful critically, kind of, in, in the Hammer canon. But Dennis Wheatley preferred that one over this one. Okay, I'm going to get this. I'm not a huge fan of Devil Rides Out. No. And the stuff I don't like about Devil Rides Out is in this movie, too. Right. And it's tenfold, and the stuff I liked about Devil Rides Out is not in this movie. There's some different stuff. It's 1976. Hammer's trying to survive. You know, they have stuff like The Exorcist um, coming out, The and The Omen came out the same year. And we also have things like uh, Rosemary's Baby had come out. And so they have like these possession devil kind of movies coming out. So, of course, Hammer's going to catch on to that train. American Grindhouse is going. So Hammer's got to spice it up. they got to be a little bit more extreme than they normally were. Right. Um, this movie is very inept in the beginning. Oh, it's totally inept. It's yeah. jumpy. Very jumpy. And they only explain what the hell's going on through exposition dumps and dialogue. Right. And it feels, again, like there's a bunch of rituals and magic rites that are supposed to be interesting to us, but we have already seen these done nowadays, and, and they don't make any sense to us. Right, because, you know, we don't know the frame of reference. We're not experts on magic witchcraft, and witchcraft. And, so, so and, and sig- frankly, I don't think they are either. Yeah, no. I, you know, <laughs> maybe there's some sort of, like, you know, long-lost, you know, myth or something that's, you know, maybe they did some research. I don't know. I don't know... The mythology behind all this magic, so therefore the symbolism is more or less lost. The plot of this movie is essentially Richard Widmark. Um, he writes about mm, esoteric things and maybe you know astro- astro- ast- astrology and uh, occult stuff. So he's kind of this writer, and uh, Delham Elliot uh, come, comes and confronts him and asks him to basically take care of his daughter and hide. Um, because the cult, occultists or Satanists are after him, so he needs to get rid of his daughter so she'll be safe. Um, fairly soon, um, Richard Woodmark realizes they're actually after her. Christopher Lee is an evil priest, and he has a group of Satanists that want to grab her, somehow re-raise Astaroth, impregnate her with Astaroth's baby or some shit. doesn't make any sense. It's very convoluted, which just devil rides out to. So essentially, it's Richard Woodmark, a couple of his friends, and Nakash Kinski in a hotel room, um, hiding out, or an apartment, hiding out while... Um, Christopher Lee sends weird spells at them. Right. You know, from like miles away, oh. casting magic into a mirror. There's some neat imagery in this movie. It's very well made. It's very, very well, well shot. Made. Very well directed, I'll say. I think very well acted. I think the acting in it is fantastic. I think Christopher Lee does a fantastic he's good. job. He's good. Even when he looks at the camera like this, he's like... Yeah. He's like... And <laughs> it's so it's like this. It doesn't feel like Lee should be doing it. It feels right. like a pleasance or something. Well, and, and the, I think they say that's a dream sequence. So uh, take of that. I don't know if it is. I don't. But there is a lot of weird stuff going on, and there's spells, and I don't. They said Richard Midmark on the the special features was an asshole. Yeah. They also said that Betty Davis was an asshole, and I don't buy that. Oh no. She, she's your grandmother. You ever see whatever happened to Baby Jane? She's, she's your grandmother. Smart. Then I'm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 
<laughs> but um, honestly, jeez, uh, uh, I don't. I didn't love this movie. It's not. I don't like it really. I, I gave it a fair rating, I think. Mm-hmm. But and, and the, it just there's some really goofy shit too. Christopher Lee was talking in that documentary, and he's completely right. He was like, it was okay. You know, he he enjoyed the movie. I think he's more likes exploring that darker stuff that's actually based in some sort of real a fact about the maybe, occult stuff. Yeah, because he was friends with Dennis Wheatley, so maybe he was like, I, I got this movie for us to be made. So I had some sort of you know attachment to it. That's why he liked Devil Rides Out so much. Mm-hmm. And Devil Rides Out is like an adventure. I can see why people like that one. Right. This one doesn't have that adventure, that fun kind of buddy buddy movie, save the world thing. This it's it's an ugly movie too. And and there's goofiness to it that just doesn't fit with the ugliness. Right. This this movie is on one hand incredibly goofy with like little ghoul fetuses. <laughs> and on the other hand it is That's one of the scenes Lee hated. Yeah, and then on the other hand it's it's really gory and really disturbing and you know But the scene with the little ghoul is highly perverse. Oh and, yeah, and absolutely. Breaking laws. Mm-hmm. And the demise of Christopher Lee is bar none the worst death scene in a hammer movie I've ever seen. Worse than crawling through a hawthorn bush or whatever. Worse absolutely. than a shadow cross. And like this when we were watching it. I don't can we talk about his death in this we're movie? We're gonna spoil it. Like, yeah, we're gonna spoil you it. Joke, you joke. Yeah, so around. I joke because of the what's the lead's name? Richard Richard Woodbine. Yeah, so he's like walking up to like like for the big showdown, he's outside there you know, their hideout, and he picks up a rock, and he's like, what's he going to do? Bash her head in the a rock? And he proceeds to do that not only once, but twice. <laughs> he, where throws he throws a rock at Chris But Lee. the worst is, like, he has to explain why he... <laughs> like, Lee's drawing a circle with blood around it, and he's like, you cannot cross, because I have put all this blood in here, and the demons will attack you. So I'm like, oh, that's stupid. I guess that's some cult shit that I don't really follow. And I'm sure people that do will be like, okay, okay. Right. I, I don't think that this movie ever explains why this makes sense in it. And then he's like, well, this has the blood of one of your disciples on it. I'm going to chuck this rock at you. He walks across and just chucks it at him. Like, the blood of, thank you for letting us know that the blood of the disciples disrupts the demon curse. It's right, like, what yeah. the whatever dude like i know that they were having trouble with this movie and um they had to rewrite a lot of it like on the spot because they were running out of money and it was successful they got none of the money from it like this movie i think like there's a weird orgy flashes and shit that doesn't really match um all in all i just don't think it's particularly good or or effective it's sloppy and like there's good shots and there's good lighting and it's just Mm -hmm. never catch it's it doesn't let you know what's going on. It's too late by the time it does. Right. And and that's what they said. They said that they were writing the script as they were filming it. And nobody, you know, in the features are saying, like, like you look at this book and you can't really make it into a movie. It doesn't work as a script. And the director it took shows. it anyways. Because yeah. they asked a bunch of people to do it. Yeah, I'm not even seeing it in here. I wonder if it's got an alternate name to The Devil of Daughter. Devil of Daughter? I don't know how this works, actually. <laughs> Me either. We should. I'm looking under D. To the, it'd be to the. To the. Here it is. It's to the. So look to under the. two. I'll go first then. You okay. find yours. Um, this is John Stanley's Creature Features, and this is to the devil. A da- dot dot dot. A daughter. 1976. Three out of five. Satanist Christopher Lee is out to transform a young child into the devil goddess in this Hammer film based on Dennis Wheatley novel. Chris Wicking did the adaptation and directed with a strong sense of evil by Peter Sykes. Richard Woodmark, acting with an unusual intensity, portrays an occult writer who tries to stop Lee with the help of a book. The Grimoire of Astaroth. Um, the 16-year-old Nakasha Kinski, daughter of Klaus Kinski. Um, Sykes, 
The 16-year-old... What the fuck? It's his period, and then I get it. But Sykes zooms all over the gloomy landscapes, and the final results are pretty good, if somewhat muddled. Honor, Blackman, Downhome, Elliot. Um, and it's funny, I want to mention... Um, it also says Child of Satan. Is it in there? Yeah, got okay. it. Um, so I go? Yep, out of four. Okay, two and a half out of four to the Devil and Daughter, 76. Rated R. Hammer Films' only post-exorcist theatrically released horror film was this muddled but interesting adaptation of Dennis Wheatley's novel by the renegade priest, Lee, attempting to unite a young novitate, Kinski, with the spawn of the demon, Astaroth. Widmark is... Wait, Widmark? Okay, yeah. Widmark is a author of occult novels like The Devil Walks Among Us, recruited by the girl's distraught dad, Elliot, to help save her. Poor editing and cheesy effects like a bloody little hand puppet to res- represent the demon baby keep this from be- being anything more than a mild success. Do you remember the tongue scene where like the baby's like t- he's eating her out but she keeps doing the tongue thing to herself? Yeah, like, she's like concentrating. <sighs> right? Fucking gross. I mean, she had to control the puppet too. Yeah. I, w- I would imagine. I, I mean... <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I don't think that I would let anybody just take a little latex dude and just... It might have not been her. It might have been a body double. And Maybe, just, like, yeah. Lick your lips. She's like... What I think... I don't know if they said, because it was like, like, didn't they like film like the ending? There's one ending and then they go back and they film a second. Well, he, yeah, yeah, he got electrocuted and they were like, that's too much like Scars of Dracula. Right. Let's just make it, you know, like shit. <laughs> just throw the rock at him. It's, it's the death of Hammer and you know, I don't want to be negative, but the last few, uh, and out of the last outings, there weren't that many gems. No. Legend of Seven Gold Vampires is great, and then mm-hmm. Frankenstein was okay, and Captain okay. Kronos was good, but yeah. there was it was it was like shitty, good, shitty, good, shitty, and they added on a bad note. Um, I know that the Hammer House of Horrors comes along, and Delham Elliott's in that, and Peter Cushing has an appearance in one of the episodes. Um, I believe Delham Elliott's in one called Rude Awakening, if I'm not mistaken. It's been a while since I've seen that, but um, it's been fun doing the Hammer. I'm not gonna lie, but it's also been a little tedious seeing a lot of these movies back to back. Through the 50s, the 60s, and 70s, Hammer, basically, we covered a 20-year span, 60 movies we watched, and, um, yeah, that's all I can say about it. Um, next, um, next, uh, week, we start something new. Right. I guess we'll just call it Blind Spot or something like that. Blind Spot sounds good, because you pick, they say Blind Spot in movies, if you have a big Blind Spot. So, I I picked 26 movies that I should have seen that I haven't seen. Jeremy picked 26 that he thinks he should have seen that he hasn't seen, even though he put Forbidden Planet or Forbidden World on there, which I don't think I technically think I saw it. (laughs) No, you didn't. But still, (laughs) it's 26 movies, 52 movies. Um, So, yeah, it's going to be going back and forth. We'll start with the one that Jeremy hasn't seen. Some of Jeremy's, most of Jeremy's I have seen. Some I haven't. So that should be fun, and I guess we're going to roll that trailer, then we're going to hop into the year-end show about Hammer. Trailer. The evil power of black magic has fascinated millions of moviegoers. In 1967, Rosemary's Baby. In 1974, The Exorcist. And now, a motion picture that probes further into the mysteries of the occult that any has dared before. 98% of so-called Satanists are nothing but pathetic freaks who get their kicks out of dancing naked in freezing churchyards. I have a feeling I'm dealing with that other 2%. Richard Widmark challenges Christopher Lee for the soul of a girl named Catherine in the terrifying film of Dennis Wheatley's sensational bestseller, To the Devil, a Daughter. 
te adoro et te invoco. They've got Catherine. And we've got to get her back before it's too late. this ceremony has been performed, I shall destroy you, John Burney. The demons hate you, Rayner. They're waiting for you. Catherine. Catherine. You are warned. The full shock, the full satanic horror, is yet to be revealed. It's a me! Don't! Hey guys, um, we're here to do the Hammer Year-End Show. That's right. Um, we're going to be relatively brief with it, as brief as we can be. We had some uh, questions. I asked a question what categories you wanted to see. I took some of them in and made up some of my own. So, of course, we got the top ten, and we'll go down and go back and forth. We'll do our top ten, then we'll do our bottom three, and then I'll just kind of do some of the questions. Hope you guys enjoy it. Let's start this. Um, do you want to go first? Um I'll do an honorable mention to start it off. Okay, yeah, we'll go with that. My honorable mention, I know I shouldn't have an honorable mention, it should be a top ten, but my honorable mention's on the list because I, I it was Hammer Horror, and this one is not horror at all. I have two. Mm-hmm. One is the anniversary, because I thought it was really exceptional. Yeah. But I don't think it's a horror movie at all, and I don't want to include it in my top ten Hammer Horror movies because I feel like it doesn't belong. It pro- I don't think it belongs either. No. So, but so it I is a fantastic. It. Betty Davis is great in it. Yes. Absolutely. And it's directed by Roy Ward Baker. Mm-hmm. So, and I also wanted to mention Scream of Fear, which we did not cover in the 60s, because I previously had covered it. Which one was Scream of Fear? The Girl in the I... Wheelchair, Black and White. Was was that a hammer? Yeah, that's a great oh, movie. Oh, that is a fantastic but movie. But it was not it was one not... of the 60 we covered, so it we covered not, it before. But if I had known that was a hammer... I think I told you that before. Had I known... So, I, I probably would, it probably would have made my list because yeah. that one is a fantastic. That's one. why I gave an honorable mention. Yeah, we didn't cover it. So. I think the most honorable mention mine is um, is a Polar Express. Horror Express. Horror Express. That's not a Hammer movie. I know it's not a Hammer movie, but I'm going to mention it because it should have been a Hammer movie. There's <laughs> a reason why it wasn't. It was Spanish. That's why. <laughs> that's why. Okay. Okay. You start with your number ten. Okay. So my number ten is um, Countess Dracula. Okay. With Ingrid Pitt. Directed by Peter Sazdy. Yes. Um, so that's number 10. Like, I, you like it? I, I liked it. I liked Ingrid Pitt. Um, she plays like two different characters, really three different characters, old and young. Really I, perverse. Really perverse. Um, nasty family. Nasty family. All, all, there's, it's just fun. I, I love the captain. I love the... Um, or the captain of the guard. I, he's he's a lustful captain. Yes, you um, owe me this. The librarians, you, yeah. you know, everything about that one is just really fun. And I love seeing Ingrid Pitt as an old decrepit lady carrying around the sword, like ready to kill people. Um, it, it was just fun. My number ten, I have a tie, but mm-hmm. one is Countess Dracula. I couldn't leave it off the list. I okay. loved it. 
Um, it's directed by Peter Zazdy. I, I like that, like I said, and I love the opening when the guy jumps on the thing, like, your fault, <laughs> pro- your husband promised me work, and he's on the cart, and he falls off, and it's ran over. I'm like, yes, that's so hammer, is the rich people shitting on the poor time exactly. and time again. And it's tied with Taste of Blood of Dracula, which okay. is also a Peter Zazdy that is like the fifth Dracula in the series. It's one of my favorites of the series. It's the one where the guys uh, collect the blood and everything like that. Then they resurrect Dracula with Ralph yeah. Bates and the, the high, are, you know, rich people are actually like, and then they chicken out and Dracula comes back and like picks them <laughs> off because they, I really like that one. That Enjoy one's a good one. one. Actually, so, yeah, that's a good one. What's your nine? Number nine is The Witches. I like The Witches. I thought that was really fun. I like the scenes in the end and, and is it, um, what's the girl's name? I can't Fontaine. remember. Oh, Jane Fontaine. Jane Isn't Fontaine. It? Is it? Is it? She's really good in that. She I forgot really they include the witches. And that one's interesting because it starts off with, like, you think it's going to be the Haitian kind of voodoo stuff. And then right. I was like, I didn't, I didn't want to see this again after Plague of the Zombies. Right. Because Plague of Zombies is good, and it has a great, I like, very memorable corpse imagery. But besides mm-hmm. that, I'm not a huge fan of Plague of Zombies. I no. feel like it's the same yeah. fucking movie as The Reptile. Right. Um, so, like, uh, I just wanted to see, like, that you know, witchcraft stuff, and I thought it was really good. Right, yeah, when it opened, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. And then it really quickly changed settings to, like, the English countryside, where she's a school teacher, and I'm like, you know, this is really good. And it went in a direction that I did not think it was going to go. All at the end. Very Mm -hmm. good. Very good. My number nine is Twins of Evil. Twins of Evil? The um, third and final in the Karstein trilogy. Love the Carstein trilogy. Mm-hmm. Love Peter Cushing's performance yes. in this one. And although there is some clunky writing with um, the twins, like why didn't she just say she wasn't that? T- whatever, because she's probably the good one and will die for her sister. But I love Peter Cushing's turn in this. Has David Warbeck in it. You know the playmates in it. The bo- I, I think this one's really great and it has a really violent third act. It does, yeah. John Hugh directed that one. He also directed The Incubus, which is a crazy movie. From my understanding, I'm not seeing it. I don't think I've seen that one. Um. Are we on eight? Yep. Gorgon. I really liked the Gorgon. I thought that Peter Cushing and um, Christopher Lee opposite each other, but with the roles reversed where Lee's technically the good guy and Cushing is the villain. And he's I, doing the high-flying stunts. That's yes. Terrence Fisher, isn't it? I think yeah, Terrence Fisher did the Gorgon. I think that it might be Terrence Fisher. I'm not certain. Um, Barbara Shelley's in that one. I think she looks fantastic as the, the Gorgon. The Gorgon's cool, too. Um, the other guy... Whatever, but I, I like the effect of them turning into stone, how they did it. Like, that one was a fun movie. I feel like I made a mistake. I don't put the Gorgon on my list. I should have. <laughs> I mean, you did mess up. I did mess yeah. up, because that one's one of the better ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is on my list later on. For okay. okay. Um, eight, um, I put Frankenstein Created Woman. Okay. I think this is the best of the, This is my favorite. This is a top ten favorite. This isn't best of. Right. Because I think that some of the other ones are better. Probably. Some of them are better, but, but these, these are, are our favorites. Right. Frankenstein Created Woman, Terrence Fisher... I think this one is twisted. I think that the Frankenstein movies kept carrying this on where they would like do these different experiments. But the idea of putting like the soul into the woman's body and like them getting revenge. So it has like this weird sexual shit that oh, they would yeah. kind of explore more in Dr. Jekyll's Sister Hyde. Mm-hmm. But I think this one does it better. I think it's more interesting and done in the Frankenstein story and uh, the fuck boys and the Frankenstein right. picks them all off. I like it. I like it. Turns mm-hmm. into like a slasher movie. Kind of, but I enjoyed this one. And it also yeah. has the tragic stuff where, like, the guy's hung in the beginning, his father, and he suffers the same fate. I don't know. It's a good one. That's a good one. I almost made my list. She commits suicide. Yes. And that's just cool. Water. And Frankenstein digs her out. Is this her body? So we're on... Seven. Seven. So I numbered my list wrong, by the way. I started with number one. Um, 
So anyway, number seven, Hounds of the Baskerville. It's my two. Is it? It's my number okay. seven. Okay, all right, yeah. Yeah, that, I Fisher. think that's a fitting place for that one. That's Christopher Lee. Um, is it Kier? Is he in that one? Is he Watson? Oh, Andrew Kier. Is he Watson? No, I think Watson is actually the asshole from Shadow of the Cat. Okay, you might be Okay, yeah. I think and he's also right. in Plague of the Zombies. Is he the father that comes looking for his, do- might... uh, his son? He's in Kier, one of them. Kier was in one, and the Watson was in one, and for some reason I thought they were the same. I no. can't remember. But Kier, I remember Christopher Lee's in this one. He's, he's great. Fantastic. Henry. He plays Sir Henry. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's a great mystery. The yeah. dogs. Again, like the, dogs. the asshole rich people in the very beginning. and mm-hmm. The mystery's good. Like I like the crypt they keep using in all these damn movies. Anytime there where it's like like rich, snotty kids that get their comeuppance, I'm like, I'm, I'm going to like this. And I love uh, Cushing as um, Sherlock Holmes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I think I like Lee and Cushing on the same side more than a, as adversaries. I do like them on the same side. And, and that goes with the non-Hammer movie, the um, Horror Express, Express yeah. where I just enjoy it. So you're number six? Because I, I had Hounds of Baskersville as well. Okay, number six, Curse of the Werewolf. Yeah? Yeah, with Oliver Reed. It's one of my favorite performances, but it didn't make my list. It didn't make your list? No. Oh, that's so weird. I should have. Because Oliver Reed is fantastic. He's, my, he's one of my favorite actors is of all time. Is this the one with Kieran? Is he the father? And he's he's, he's father? really great. I think it might be him. It's definitely an actor that is in a, made another appearance that we love. The, both both the... Um, we, we felt like he was a Sean Connery type in it. Yeah, yeah he was yeah. really good. I like um, his sister-wife girl that was <laughs> in it. Um no, this was just really fun. It, it has some slow pacing in the beginning, and it takes a while to get to the werewolf stuff. But it's all altogether pretty good. It has the wonderful opening of uh, Oliver Reed with the tears in his eyes. Yes. And one of the best designs. I love the werewolf design. I know a lot of people don't like it, but I like these birds. I like it. He and looks good. Oliver Reed's one of the best. Yeah. Um, but then uh, my number six is the first in the car scene trilogy. It is the Vampire Lovers with Ingrid mm-hmm. Pitt. I know script-wise it's not that great. But I really love Ingrid Pitt. I love that it was so sleazy and it just came out of nowhere. She's just like bathing naked and everything and she's picking everybody off. This one just had a lot of intrigue for me and then like it carried on with the whole car scene. I think it's obviously my favorite of the car scene trilogy. I just Probably. like this one quite a bit. It feels more like a European, like one of these like uh, John Rowland movies to a certain extent. Not as artistic as those, but it does have that kind of... Maybe closer to like that Vampires movie by Jose Larraz. So. Right. And I think had they wrapped up some of the stuff that they started in that one I probably would have liked it more it is my favorite of the Carnes team for sure and it is a fantastic movie yeah. I love it so you're number five I think X the Unknown The Blob yeah <laughs> I thought that one was fun I don't I don't know if there's much to talk about that one it's just a good you know and I don't think I liked it when we watched it I think it, I was kind of like bored by it but the more I thought about it, the more I really liked the way that they handled it. Yeah. Uh, um, just like the beginning where they had like, like the radiation. That was almost Quater Mask, too. They almost it, called it, it a Quater Mask. And it, it, pre- it did feel like a Quater Mask. <laughs> Which didn't have Quater Mask in it. If you put right. Quater Mask in that movie, it's a, oh, yeah, it, it would have made it better. I, I do like it. I think I would mm-hmm. give it, a, it would go higher on the next one. But um, I think that you should check out Keltiki, the Immortal Monster. I, I probably should. It's, yeah. it's, I think it's a better version of X the Unknown. Mm-hmm. And it's a Mario Bava, Ricardo Freda directed Mario movie. Mario Bava. You don't know nothing. Okay. Um, that was your five? I think that was five. My number five is The Quater Mass of the Pit by Roy Ward Baker. Okay. Um, I think that it's tremendous. And I think that it kept me thinking for days. Just like the Quatermass experiment. Yes. I thought about the science and the intelligence of the movie, and I was like, that's so trippy and crazy. And 
had so much going on, and usually those movies can lose you because they become kind of bullshitty. But for some reason, I, I stay connected. Andre mm-hmm. Kier is great. It also has that guy who's in um, who's in Frankenstein Created Woman. He's like, "What's that?" Yes, that he, guy. he gets all fucked up and he like runs through like and this all the trashes to win. He's like turns into a trash NATO. <laughs> but the <laughs> end is huge. And I the love end it. is fantastic. This is actually my number four. Okay, is Cater Mass. So you're eggs. going right into your number. So four. you know, Barbara Shelley again. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, she's great. Um, and the way that the, the story just keeps on going and keeps on escalating, and by the time everything's said and done, it's like this is just a fun adventure movie. Yeah. Very similar, I think, to Cater Mass Two. It's a bit more out there and a bit more Bigger. larger in scale. And John Carpenter bases half his movies on this. Yeah, yeah. This is every John Carpenter movie <laughs> ever made. It's just better. No. Just better. It's just good. My number four is The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Okay. I like the East meets West. Mm-hmm. I like the ridiculousness and the big of the bigness of it. And uh, it's basically Magnificent Seven with Dracula and Peter Cushing and a bunch of Skeletor creatures with yes. swords. It's just big. It's huge. Reminds me of Army of Darkness. Love it. Roy Ward Baker, again, directing one of the bigger, harder movies to do, like The Quatermass in a Pit. Yeah. Seemed very hard to direct. So I feel like when they have like a big movie like that, they have him come in. I love Cushing in that one. And that's... Yeah. Is that the last That's Cushing? the last that's Cushing. That's the last, the last Dracula. Yeah. Unfortunately, Lee's not in it, but... but small we, hit on it. Yeah. Your number three? Number three. You ready? The anniversary. You put it on I flipped the tables. I turned the script. Yeah. Or, or whatever. Um, yeah, no, I think that Betty Davis... It was almost the nanny. But then, while I liked the nanny, I thought that the anniversary, while you're right, is not technically horror... It was just really, really good. She's great in it. She's great in it. it Her facial expressions are great. Right. Um, there, there, you know, there's suspense. There's mystery. There's you know drama there's that, her overacting and her, her overacting when she's staring at the fireworks like right and, and and it's a very tense movie it's very very tense because you don't quite know where it's going to go and when you look at things like crescendo um from what is that night till morning or whatever i can't straight remember. until morning straight until morning are those horror i, I don't know the i don't even know what horror is but this one was great so number yeah. three Number th- that was my number three. Okay. My number three is These Are the Damned, a.k.a. The Damned. Mm-hmm. Perfect sci-fi movie. Um, Oliver Reed's my favorite in this. At the end, when the, the kid's in the car, he's like, Got you see, you're killing me! You're killing me! <coughs> and he loses his mind like that. Great Oliver Reed performance. It's kind of like a, a punk kid, mm-hmm. a punk ass. Um, just love this one. Sci-fi crazy, kind of Village of the Damned type story. Um, the children are set. It's just a great one. That one's a great one. Um I guess I could probably jump it, can I? Is that your number two? That's my number one. Oh, don't know. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll go back. We'll go back. We'll go back. Don't ever do that unless it's the one above it or next. So. Okay. All right, your number two. Number two is Cater Mass Two. That's also my number two. That's also your yeah. number two. Okay, that one was just so viscerally horrific to me. Um, I love the giant monsters. I love the scary. adventure in it. Super scary. Intense. I didn't expect it to be a nonstop action horror movie. Right. People getting shot. Um, the mm-hmm. spaceship crashing in. The monsters having a sentient thing. Scared the fuck out of me. Quatermass was completely different in it. And right. improved on. I Absolutely loved him in it. improved. One of my favorite performances with Don Lovey in that Yeah, one. I loved him. Um, the scene where like they dis- they dissolve people and they like, turn them into a like, dude melting people. running down the yeah, stairs. Yeah, and I'm like, this is horrific. I, you know. Like, Val Guest did like, that one. If you want the goriest Hammer movie, while it's not technically gory, yeah, it's disturbing. It's disturbing. Like I'm like, 
oh god and then like like they're speaking through the factory and yeah. the, the goop's like like send more people it's like a send more <laughs> police send or, yeah. more paramedics <laughs> no that you know I'm pretty sure that Dan O'Bannon was a fan of this too he wrote Life Force mm-hmm. which is a Quatermass movie too basically and, and John Carpenter Prince of Darkness yeah. was a Quatermass movie and the Absolutely. thing's very Quatermass I feel like all these guys were inspired by Quatermass. I, I find Quatermass to be fantastic, and I'm glad I got to see them. Quatermass 2 is excellent. So, your number one? So, my number one is These Are the Damned, and I think that that is the, one of the, while the Quatermass might be my favorite, like, my most enjoyed watching, I think These Are the Damned was, like, my most taken away. Like, I, I was actually kind of, like, wide-eyed in terror with it i love the ending um just the sheer chaos of everything and I, I love the science experiments in it i like the secret society underground you know the scientists yeah i thought know. that was really interesting um the american i could have done without i don't even remember him he he was the the hero he the was yeah guy. He, he was kind of a weirdo too yeah like, with the young girl and everything right the oliver reed right. sister but oliver reed was fantastic in it he has like a change of heart um i love the artist the she girl, was great. She has she a tragic thing. She has a too. tragic ending. And the um, same. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, and just just the the dialogue, the the way that that everything unfolds in the final scene was just like wow. Uh, my number one is uh, Vampire Circus. No surprise there. It's been, and I doubt if I rewatch like Quatermass two or these other damned, it might bump it. But Vampire Circus was one I've always been familiar with. And I just love the big circus feel and all the villains. It's very much like a, a villain team. And they kind of mm-hmm. have unique powers. Love the hell out of it. I know it's an incompleted Hammer movie and a lot of people don't like it. But it's also like one of the bloodiest and most sleazy and but arty at the sleazy, same time. Sleazy. I, I, um, the twins, I think, are fantastic. Twins are great. I love the midget in it. I love him. He's great in it. He's great. So uh, let's let's hop into our bottom three. Let's be mm-hmm. brief with these. No brief. reason to yeah, dwell on shit. Yeah, we don't have shit. to go on these. Uh, they're not even that shitty. No. What's your number three? Number three is Hands of the Ripper. <laughs> you didn't like it? No. Bored the Boring. Shit. Number, my number three is To the Devil a Daughter. Okay. I'm not big on the Dennis Wheatley stuff, but I think Devil Rides Out's a good movie. It's just not for me. I don't think mm-hmm. To the Devil a Daughter's even a good movie, really. No. Your number two? One Million Years B.C. Very let down because I wanted something else. Okay. That's not your the movie's fault, though. That's the movie's fault. Okay. Two, <laughs> Horror Frankenstein. All right. Did not like it. <laughs> I, I, I wanted my fucking Peter Cushing. Restrying to start this whole thing, like... Ralph Bates is good, and I liked him in everything else except this. I was just like, I don't like this fucking... I don't like how he's portraying Frankenstein. It's like, oh, watch him do these experiments. Isn't this funny? And it ends on, like, such a comical, off-beat note that doesn't... It fits, but it's just, like, the whole tone of it's just fucking not funny, and not... It's gory and stupid, and it's right. just, I don't I don't like it. Mm-hmm. You're number one? Any Mummy movie. Not even the first Mummy? None of the Mummy. Like, the, the worst thing I ever had to go through were these... Stupid mummy movies. My number one is Blood from the Mummy's Tomb. I okay. hate it. I hate that. That's the one that made a two out of five. It's the worst one. Two directors on it. Seth Holt, who's a good director, did The Nanny. He died. Mm-hmm. And fucking Michael Carreras came in, who did the second mummy, which is one of the worst two, and he finished it. So I was like, oh, fuck. And he did that movie you don't like, um, The Lost Continent, too. Yeah, I didn't like that one either. So, uh, best monster design. Best quick. monster design. Oh, The Martians in the pit. Okay. I got the mummy. I thought Christopher okay. Lee looked fantastic as a mummy. Best monster performance? Dracula. Curse of the Werewolf, Oliver Reed. Okay. Best screenplay? Quatermass 2. Quatermass Experiment. I okay. thought I thought about that one the longest, and uh just disturbed me, the idea of how the science and monster worked in that. Best director? I love that blank, because I don't know. Um, Does it, pro- yeah. I don't know, maybe 
I put Roy Ward Baker because I thought he handled the big projects, but technically it probably should be Terrence Fisher. I, I think I, I tend to like more Baker films. Yeah. yeah. So. Best score? Eh, nothing stood out. I put James Bernard because he did all the huge bombastic early stuff that mm-hmm. I liked, like Curse Frankenstein, Horror of Dracula. That's a good one. Three most badass Cushing moments? Oh, we had to pick three? Okay, just pick one then. Okay, I picked one. I did the uh, sword fight with Christopher Lee and, and the other guy in the Gorgon. Okay. Yeah. I, I did the showdown with Dracula and Horror Dracula because I feel like he's jumping and running on tables. Mm-hmm. Broken leg in the mummy, how he just works through yes. it. Yeah, he he'll be crippled. <laughs> we laughed a lot about that. And when he tells the guys in the Frankenstein must be destroyed to shut the fuck up in the beginning and right. he outclasses them. Love yes. that. He does. That's I love his one. outclassy lines in those movies. Right. Um, best Hammer, Frankenstein? Uh, created Woman. I put Curse of Frankenstein because technically I think it's the best, and I think it's probably one of the best made of all of them. Okay. Best Hammer Dracula? Brides. Brides as well. Okay. That's a fantastic movie, yes. and I, I was I should have included it on my list. Mm-hmm. Five best lead performances? Oh, Cushing and Lee? Yeah. Uh, for Cushing, I got The Gorgon. I got Created Woman. I got Monster from Hell. Seven Gordon Vampires. Number one, Twins of Evil. Five Cushing performances? Twins of Evil? Mm-hmm. Van Helsing? Mm-hmm. Baron Frankenstein, Sherlock Holmes, and In Fear in the Night. Okay. Not a great movie, great performance by him, though, In Fear in the Night. And Great. for Lee? Lee Gorgon, Two Faces of Jekyll, Rasputin, To the Devil a Daughter, which he was fantastic in, but the movie was terrible. And number one, I think, Hounds of Baskerville. I didn't rank them. The Gorgon, love mm-hmm. him in The Gorgon. Hound of Baskerville, as Sir Henry, Count Dracula, The Frankenstein Monster, and Rasputin. Okay. Best series? Best series, Peter Mask. Quieter Mask yeah. for the win. Love yeah. them all. Best Tatas? Somebody Oliver Reed. That. that was funny. <laughs> His pecs. Yes. In the <laughs> I put Ingrid Pitt. It definitely Ingrid Pitt's probably the winner. Best supporting? Michael Ripper. Michael Ripper. Yeah, who's a, yeah. It's Michael Ripper, of course. Exactly. I love him, and it broke my heart when he wasn't in any Same. Uh, best actress? I like Barbara Shelley. You got Ingrid Pitt. Ingrid Pitt? Yeah. I think they're in probably the same amount of movies. And they're both great. Both fantastic. Uh, Barbara Shelley's, I think, in three or four. Ingrid Pitt's only in two. Yeah. Best actor? Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed. Okay. I got him, too. <laughs> a bo- um, that, they were good. They were good. So, it was um, fantastic. That wraps up the end of Hammer. Hopefully that mm-hmm. was okay for you guys. We went a little quick because, you know, setting these cameras up, and I still didn't get it. I think it looks like shit in here for some reason. It's just not a good... I should have done it in the other room. But um, we had fun. Hopefully this next thing will be just as much fun for you guys. It's a mm-hmm. little bit different. It's, you know... But... Going through Hammer was, I, I think it was, you know, educational and fun, and mm-hmm. we got to see them kind of progress as a company into their sci-fi, and as they pushed the envelope, and then kind of got left behind still. Right. It's kind of sad that they pushed the envelope and a lot of stuff, but they still got left in the dust by American Grindhouse and all that kind of stuff. I think that they focused too much on Victorian horror, Victorian Gothic, and not enough on the science fiction, because the science fiction was fantastic. The science fiction was the best. I don't know how well their science fiction movies did, but if they wanted to make money, they probably should have had more rape in their movies. Because for some reason in the 70s, every movie somebody was getting raped. Yeah, I know, but whenever there was rape, granted they used Peter Cushing to do it. And then the Curse of Frankenstein in the 50s, that was really so weird. It was was weird. I mean, it's always unpleasant to watch rape. But I'm just saying, I'm not saying that it's a good choice to do rape, Mm. but I'm saying that um, financially they probably wouldn't be successful because for some reason in America, like I Spit on Your Grave and all them rape revenge movies, and even like Deliverance, all those movies, Mm -hmm. and Death Wish, it was just like rape, rape, rape city in it. You know, a lot of those movies are excellent, but it's still like Rape City in those movies. But I'm good on talking about Hammer. Um, it has been fun. Uh, if you want to check it out, all those, we did 60 movies. Like I said, we didn't do the Hammer House of Horrors, and there was four titles right. not included that I reviewed beforehand. But um, I had fun doing it. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, what would you see the number one Hammer movie that you must watch from all of this? We just said our list. Oh, no, not your personal number one. Honestly, you really ought to see Horror of Dracula and Curse of Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Even if they're not my favorites, I think that those kind of encase Hammer. And I, then I would agree. But I do think that the science fiction stuff is better. Yeah. Uh, and the Quatermass experiment, and, yeah, is, watch that is way better than I even gave credit for originally, for mm-hmm. sure. So I, I'd start with those three. Yeah. So um, uh, any any honorable mentions? Anything you want to shout out? I think I'm good. I just hope that Michael Reed got his uh, decanter set back. Like, he... Michael Ripper? Who are you talking oh no, about? no, Oliver Reed. What did uh, I say? Michael Reed. Michael Reed. Oh, from uh, These Are the Damned? <laughs> uh, all right. And I hope that his, uh, his hammer got reimbursed for all that liquor he was drinking. Right? His... <laughs> That's probably what bankrupt them, to be honest. They, they were covering ever since, like, 65. <laughs> yeah. But there's a cool thing about Albert Reed is um, he actually returned to do the Hammer House Hammer-like um, documentaries. Oh, really? When he was older. Yeah. Yeah, yeah which is really cool of him because a lot of people stick their nose up to that kind of stuff, and Albert mm-hmm. Reed came back. Right. Uh, so, I, I don't know. So... But goodbye to all them like dusty cemeteries and crypts and ponds and castles and all the stuff we've seen a million times. Right, you know, it, it's very iconic. I don't think anybody can see that stuff and not think Hammer. You right. know, I know it's a kind of a redo of the Universal stuff, but uh, it's I like different. it. I like, I like it. it a lot. I don't know if I like it more than Universal, but I just genuinely like it. I think yeah. their hearts are in the right place. And, and I'm going to be honest. Um, I always preferred Cushing over Lee, but after going through all these. I don't know. Lee might be better than Cushing for me. It just depends. It depends on the movie. Yeah, I love them both. I feel like I can't separate them anymore. You can't. I think after going through this, you can't separate them. Before I could, now I can't. Yeah. So um, we're out of here. One more, one more hammer time. With the actual hammer? I can't do the actual hammer. Do it with the actual hammer. This is going to hurt. Bye. Okay, guys, let's get into these questions. Nick Mua, he says, as he basically makes a comment, are these longer videos due to COVID-19? I don't think necessarily, because I'd be watching a lot of movies anyways, but uh, I, I still have to work, so I don't have that much more free time yet. Um, do you enjoy Clyde Barker's brand of horror? Uh, if so, which are your favorite adaptations? Um, as far as um, books, I really like The Hellbound Heart. I like Cabal. And uh, those are the two I'm most familiar with. I do believe I read one of the books of blood, but I can't register which one. As far as film adaptations, I uh, love Hellraiser 1. I know, too, he really is kind of not directed by him or anything, but I'm sure he had involvement. Um, I like the first two Hellraisers quite a bit. I love Cabal. I really like Lord of Illusions. I haven't watched Candyman in such a long time. I don't want to put that one on there, but I do remember enjoying that to a certain extent. And then should a novelist get to say in how their work is brought to the silver screen? I noticed that the films where Clyde Barker had some involvement are better than those he didn't. I I do think that um, sometimes they should. It depends, you know, really. Because if you look at The Shining, it's just that's a great movie without King's involvement. So it just really depends. I mean, Clyde Barker's old movies like Transmutations and Rawhead Rex really just didn't have a budget behind them. Or maybe I think maybe possibly Clyde Barker should be involved with the script. And maybe who's directing, and that's about it. Let him go to town. But um, I, I prefer him to direct his own movies. I feel like he's always done a good job with directing them. I know he doesn't really like the outcome sometimes, uh, apparently, or just hates working in the studio system. But I'd like to see him direct again. I know he's probably not very healthy these days, which is unfortunate. But why do you think so many directors that were hot during the 70s and 80s aren't as successful now? I think that some of those directors, you know, some people just get older, they lose their touch, they get burnt out on playing the system, doing all that shit. But also I think that filming techniques change. 
Um, I think that, you know, somebody like Romero had, had his crew with him in, in Pittsburgh, just made his movies his way. They were perfect. But, you know, later he need to have to do certain, certain things, certain ways. They just didn't turn out as good. I think that sometimes people are holding their hands. It's not as, I mean, holding their, holding them back. It, it's a, it's a variety of things. And I think every director is a bit different. Why? That things just don't work out like they used to. Um, some people just don't want to adapt. Some people just can't adapt. It, it all depends. Uh, it, like I said, it's circumstantial on which director. Um, Brian Gosler um, or Galster, what what's up with the arrow behind the door release? Are they re-releasing? It's already sold out. Are scalpers are reselling it for a hundred and up? Is it because COVID, uh, coronavirus? Let me know, Dave. No, I think actually the uh, Beyond the Door sold out. There'll probably be a single edition later on down the line. Somebody also asked if it's longer than the um, Code Red edition, and I think it is. Like I think they both have the extended cut on there, I, from my understanding. But the Beyond the Door. Um, Arrow or first release, the special one had a bonus disc with the theatrical shorter version and a documentary on there. So, um, Michael Woodward, um, this one's kind of a comment, kind of a question. Just want to make a quick comment on your video of Mesmerize. It reminded me of a film that I saw a while back and one of those films that had since fallen through the cracks. It's called Sleep Dealer by Alex Rivera. Maybe you have seen the film. No, I have not. But the premise or the premise is very similar. People take your memories and put them on disc and sell them on the black market. There's also a subplot of how the U.S. has finally solved the illegal immigration crisis by allowing immigrants to work in the U.S. without actually working in the U.S. by building these so-called sleep factories in the country of Mexico. To complicate, to complicate, just too complicated to describe here, but your review immediately reminded me of the film. Check it out. You won't be disappointed. Very smart movie. Sounds pretty cool. Ilk Vomit, uh, Hammer Time. He basically says next week is the last installment of Hammer Time. He said, for the last installment, can we now please have Jeremy do the intro with a real hammer? He says, record outside and have him smash a plate you don't want anymore or something. Maybe we'll get him a real hammer. I don't know about smashing stuff. Um, Burn Burns, is there a lot? He basically, that's the question. Dan the Cameraman, uh, that was a question about longer edition. Dan the Cameraman, great video, Dave. Props to you for suffering through 91, huh? Questions. Do you have your limits as an actor what you'll do on screen? I won't really hurt somebody. Like, I'm not going to actually, like, cut somebody or, or beat the shit out of somebody for real. I mean, I'll do prop fighting and stuff, and, and occasionally you might punch somebody on accident or you might get hit on accident or something or get picked up wrong way or something. Um, but I, I also won't have real sex on camera. You know, I wouldn't do that. So if I'm going to put um, someone else's life in danger, I'm not comfortable doing that. Um, but as far as like playing a character, as long as I trust the director um, and I think the dialogue's pretty fairly solid, I will probably do it, um, you know. And what's a posse in a movie you would want to be part of? The Wild Bunch, Magnificent Seven. See, all the posses I really like, they have bad ends. Like the Wild Bunch, Magnificent Seven, the Dirty Dozen, um, the Tombstone Posse, Young Guns Posse. They all die. It's like everybody dies. Um, but which one do you think that um, maybe the Dirty Dozen? We'll go with them. I don't have a good choice. I, mean, I feel like if dying aside, I would love to be part of the Wild Bunch or the Dirty Dozen. Do you think it's fair or unfair for people to compare past movie sensibilities to modern day standards? Birth of a Nation, Revenge of Nerds. I do think it is unfair to a certain extent. I don't blame people for getting upset about it, but to get mad at other people for enjoying it um, is ridiculous. Okay, you understand. I I think that you got to take those things into consideration. You know, everything has its reason. Everything is circumstantial. Everything is. You know, I understand that people have problems with it. I mean, like watching so many movies, you're like, Oh, that doesn't, that doesn't land well today. Especially Revenge of the Nurse does not land well today. But anybody that gets their life advice from a eighties sex comedy is, is, has way more problems than watching a movie like that in the first place. I mean, there's something wrong with you. All right. 
Um, it's just a movie. They're just movies. They're not, they're not real life. I mean, they can affect you emotionally and everything like that. But at the end of the day, you should know reality from fiction. And if you can't do that, then I don't know what you get problems. You know, there's something worse than you need help. That's all I'm going to say. So, I mean, like, I, I don't think, I mean, you can make comments on it and say that would never fly today, but it's fairly obvious that it would never fly today. You know, I mean, it's almost basically like, yeah, well, it's just so many things going on and everything like that. Um, it's just complicated situation. Um, you know, I, I don't think that they should be held to the same standards that we are. Answers can, um, uh, we, last week I asked, what your top um, 1991 movies, horror movies were, top five. And I got a bunch of answers that are movies that aren't even from 91. They're from like 1990 on Internet Movie Database, and I go by Internet Movie Database. So I, instead of an- reading all these answers, um, I'm half tempted to just give you the poll results because I want to read all the poll results for you. I think it would be more effective for you guys instead of me reading the same 20 movies, if that makes any sense to you guys. So I appreciate all your responses and everything like that. Um, so, uh, yeah, let me go through and see if there's anything that I should um, say on here. Um, uh, Hudson makes a very funny comment about me not being burnt out anymore. He says, I take it all back. You're not burnt out. You don't need a break. You haven't got a Japanese ghost living in your ear. You are buzzing in this video. Really lo- enjoyed. Loved your English accent. Bloody good shoulder, old chap. And then he goes through his top five. And uh, Nick Mula has some little comments after his top five. He says, uh, people under stairs can't go wrong with Craven uh, directed feature. Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear, the proof that not all re-imaginings suck. Balls, sometimes they come back. Uh, decent Stephen King adaptation. Voodoo Dawn, Tony Tan doing what he does best. The Runestone, I love some North mythology. Most of the other ones are people just giving um, basically their, year, their movies. So I'm going to give you guys the results of the poll. So... Let me get through this. Just because just reading the same titles five or six times is probably fairly boring. So, um, of course, instead of doing it, uh, if you guys would have all given me ranked responses, like one, two, three, four, five, I was going to take like the number ones and give them five points apiece, and number twos and give them four points apiece. But since people just kind of threw most of them out there without ranking them, every movie that was mentioned of the your five got a point. So this does not necessarily reflect the best because I think that the best would probably, I think everybody's number one with Silence of the Lambs for the most part, almost a lot of people. So that one would probably still win. But just as in mentions, so how many times was this movie mentioned out of people's top five? So number one, surprisingly, was People Under the Stairs. People mentioned that 18 times. So 18 people had People Under the Stairs on their their top five. Um, Number two was Silence of the Lambs. 12 people had that in their top five. Three, Kate Fear. Ten people had that in their top five. Popcorn had nine people at number four. Um, five is Subspecies with seven. Six is Body Parts with six. Uh, seven is Puppet Master three with five. And then we have a, a huge uh, one, two, three, like five-way tie here. We have um, eight, Pit in the Pendulum with four. Necromantic also at eight with four. Necromantic two, I mean. Um, ten, Sometimes They Come Back with four. Ernest Scared Stupid had four. Freddy's Dead had four. So that was basically eight through 12. We had five movies that all scored four. Um, and then we have Child's Play three with three at 13. Um, Critters three is also a three. Dolly Dearest is a three. Ghoulies three is a three. Ghoulies three does not even count. It's not a 91 movie. And Highway to Hell is a three. The Borrower also not a 1991 movie. That's three. Boneyard also not a 1991 movie. That's two. And then we have Cast a Deadly Spell with two. Killer Nerd with two. 967 Evil with two. 
967 Evil 2 with one. Adam's Family, Bay of Blood. Uh, all these have one from now on after here. Adam's Family, Baby Blood, Begotten, Black Demons, Children of Night, Class of Nukem I2, Cthulhu Mansion, Dead Dudes in the House. Dead Dudes in the House is not a 91. Baby Blood is not a 91. Begotten is not a 91. Delicantessant, Haruku the Goblin, Howling Six, Naked Lunch, Nothing But Trouble, Poison, Resurrected, Rikio, Runestone, There's Nothing Out There, Zombie Nami, Zombie Rampage, which I don't think is a 91 either. So um, they might have been released in 91 widely, but Internet Movie Database is how I go off because if I, otherwise it would just be way too much insanity going on on that. So um, the question of the week now is I want to ask you what the most hated horror film of 1991 is for you. So what horror film did you could you not stand from 1991? So uh, yeah, double check everything is li- I got everything here. So then we're going to hop into the update. Yep, I think we're all good. So uh, yeah. Let's get in that update. All right, guys, let's hop into this update. Got kind of a big uh, big one because the MVD order came in. So first we got this Elvira, Mistress of the Dark on Arrow Blu-ray. I'll probably check this one out later down the, the month. So, yeah. Never seen Elvira. Never seen this movie. I know it's got kind of a cult following. It should be fun. Then we have um, The Wind by Nico Makarakis. Um, never seen this one either. It's got Meg Foster in it. Should be cool. Also Arrow video. Then we got this cool. I want a contest for Concept Media for uh, being on their uh, YouTube, being subscribed to their YouTube. It's the Concept Media Films Collection. It comes with a bunch of movies on there. Disc 1, Midsummer Nightmares, Sleeping Soul, Bludgeon, Watch This. Disc 2, Midsummer Nightmares 2, Seasons Greetings, The Lamb, It's Your Fault. Disc 3, Don't Fuck in the Woods, Breaking Vera, Betsy, and Falling Grace. Pretty cool. That's nice to have. I had a couple of those. Then we have um, the Eggfa film, um, the McPherson tape. Never seen this. Um, sounds pretty strange, to be honest. And then uh, Olive had a sale. We got the Monster of Piedras uh, Blancas. Uh, Piedras? I, I don't know the area. I'm sorry. I know it's a place, and I'm an idiot. But um, that monster I always remembered from magazines and everything like that. Um, never have seen this. Wanted to check it out. He looks cool to me. I like how he looks. And then we have It. The Tear from Beyond Space. The monster looks very similar to that monster. And this is another one where I've always wanted to see because the monster. Oop. And I guess it to, um, inspired like the thing and everything like that. So, yeah. Want to check it out for sure. Um, yeah. And we're going to hop into the MVD update here. We have the Velocipaster. MVD had dirt cheap sales. So I grabbed a bunch of them. This one didn't look like it would be up my alley. But for the price, I grabbed it. Um, then we have the House of Forbidden Secrets. I already had this, but I wanted the um, Unearthed edition of it, Todd Sheets movie. So I grabbed that. I think it has different extras. So Then we have Black Metal Veins. It was dirt cheap. I think this is a cut version on Blu-ray, but I don't really care. Lucifer Valentine movie. I, I don't. This is not something I'm really, really that interested in. It's about heroin addicts. But um, I, I was kind of curious for the price. Then we have some DVDs here, um, and I believe I have this. I just picked up some of these; might be extra copies. Um, uh, Flowers. I think I have. I don't have the unearthed edition. I don't know. I think I have the regular edition. But Phil Stevens movie, crazy movie, man. It's really cool, actually. Good stuff. So yeah. And then we have Lung, um, Phil Stevens movie, which I don't have the um, this two disc collector's edition. I do not have the um, unearthed version. I have the other edition, so I'm glad to finally have this unearthed edition for a great price. So yeah, 
This movie's also insane. He makes crazy movies, Phil Stevens. Then we have My Demon Within, which I don't think I had had. I can't remember. Maybe I even reviewed it, man. Sometimes you forget lots of things. So then we have Morse County, which I actually had and reviewed, but I really like this one, and for the price, I kind of wanted a second copy around. This is a really underrated movie, to be honest. Then we have Dreaming Purple Neon. I had the Blu-ray, like, Kickstarter one, but uh, the Unearthed Edition DVD was a good price. I kind of like the Unearthed line, so I kind of collect them. So, yeah. Figured it had some other stuff on here that it didn't. Then we have um, some SRS stuff. And they forgot one title, but um, they're going to make it right. So, Gorgasm, which I have a Blu-ray, but I wanted the DVDs on this because I had a playback issue with one of the Blu-rays. So, yeah decent movie there's a whole like trilogy of those uh, movies that uh, hugh gallagher made garotica which is my favorite of the three this one's really great to be honest i like this one quite a bit and then the third is gore horror which i will be getting eventually it's supposed to come then we have carousel which i had the other edition of this one but i ended up picking up the wild eye edition of it this one's pretty fun steve radinsky i know that um uh, bunch of people are in this i know uh josh miller Haley j madison then we have evil river don't know much about it good price on it looks gory looks like an italian movie i'm not sure how it turns out but it looks like it has some atmosphere and then these i had the irregular editions but i didn't have the uh wild eye and they're cheap stabbed in the face this is the terror optics guys and their movies i remember liking them it's been so long since i watched them um then we have grime wave which is the third of the Cockface Killer trilogy. Uh, yeah, these movies are ridiculous. Have you guys never seen any Terror Optics movies? Jeez. And we have Killer Camp Out. I like the Slasher uh, cover there. Heavily inspired by Mutilator, obviously. So yeah, it looks like John Russo's in that. This could be fun. Then we have Cat Sick Blues, which I have the Blu-ray um, from, uh, what is it? monster pictures but again this was a good price for this this movie is insane this movie is so disgusting and weird i don't even know if i like it but it's it's bizarre then we have erotic nights of the blind dead not seen this one either good price that looks insane then we have the gore face killer this is the actual first of the uh uh cockface killer movies these movies are insane if you guys never seen them. And then we have, of course, Gorgasm. The other Gorgasm. This is the second of the Cockface Killer movies. And this one is the one that I thought was the funniest, to be honest. It's been a while since I watched these. This one I laughed the most at. And we have one called Hell's Kitty. Come on, guys. The title alone. Wish you had... You'll wish you had nine lives. Come on. I like all these cheese. <laughs> what the hell? Oh, the thing on the back. This pussy is possessed. This looks so ridiculous. And then we have Party Night. Slasher movie here. like the cover again. Kind of cool, retro kind of cover. Not seen this either. And then last, we have this holiday horror triple feature. Um, Paranormal Halloween, Deadly Xmas, and Summer Camp Massacre. These are all like the Caesar and Auto movies. So, yeah, why not? Should be fun. I believe they're the summer, they're the uh, Caesar and Auto movies. So I guess we'll hop back to the video, guys.
All right, guys. I just want to do a Patreon shout out. Um, it's Travis Lithium or Lithium. It's not. I I, I know I mispronounced uh, your name. I'm sorry. Let me know how you say it. I'm not great with names the first time and everything like that. Everybody knows that. But uh, you guys take care and as always, have a good one. Mm.